Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 35. Welcome to That's Wrap, episode number 35. I am Eric Marshall. And I am Nick Schlegel. And I am Chris Gullen. And we are three guys who like to debate culture and media and stuff. So here we are, uh, the end of April of 2015. Today we're going to be talking about our top... 10 movies of the 1980s back by popular demand people seem to love these top 10s so here we are doing them again in the 1980s the 1980s so for uh new listeners this is the part of the show where we do pickups which is uh just catching up with each other before we get into the meat of the subject uh before we start that i can tell you that you can find show notes or anything else you want at that's a wrap show.com and uh from there you can find our facebook page um and our twitter and all that other good stuff so what is up with you guys? Uh, boy, you know, it, it's end of the semester. Uh, so this is our last week of classes at Westfield State. And it's been a, been a very, very busy semester. Um, so really looking forward to the summer. And tomorrow night, we're recording this on a Thursday night. So tomorrow night is our uh, communication department big gala dinner that we have every year. Uh, so looking forward to that. And uh, looking forward to relaxing and getting some uh, writing done over the summer, spending time with Steve, my boy, and uh, working on some other projects. So just – and it's finally uh, warmed up in New England. Uh, We actually had snow a week ago, a week and a half ago. And uh, it snowed a little bit here in – uh, actually, all of Massachusetts got a little bit of snow. But now it's back into the the balmy – High fifties, low sixties. So it's uh, mm. it's it's yeah. It's the flowers were just budding on our uh, bushes in front of our townhouse. So it's uh, spring and the warmer weather are trying to push their way into New England as much as they can. Spring has sprung. Spring, spring is here. Spring is here. It is. It is. It might as well be here. Yeah. Yeah. So good time good. for poisoning pigeons in the park. So. <laughs> Um, this will be your first of the big galas at your new university, though, right? Yes, yes, this is the first one. So I'm very uh, excited. There's going to be uh, good dinner and awards and uh, some swing dancing involved. So oh. I'm, 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 I'm sure there will be photos on uh, on Facebook uh, nice. that my students will share. Good. Nice, excellent, right. excellent. What about you, Nick? Me? Well, uh, in between our last recording and this recording. Um, I've managed to pretty much finish, uh, the last, uh, bits of my book. In fact, I was on the phone with my production editor today. I just delivered the index, which took several weeks to generate because those things are tough, man. That's yeah. a, it's a long, it's a long involved process creating an index. Um, and I just finished that today. I mean, it gets really difficult when you're getting into, for example, when I was doing, you know, my book deals with Spain. And so, 
you've got an entry like General Francisco Franco, you know, and he's got 57 entries, you know. So the the question, of course, then becomes to subdivide it into categories. Uh, and then so you have to figure out which categories are relevant and what pages do they span across. And when you're doing that with multiple topics, um, multiple subjects and nouns across, you know, an entire book, <laughs> You know, it's like uh, serious chewing gum for the mind. You know what I mean? Um, and I like, didn't know that when you told me that you had to do that, Nick. I thought that the editor of the publishing house did it. I didn't know the author did it. Yeah, yeah it's the author's responsibility to generate the index uh, because they know the work. Um, and so, yeah, that was a lot of work. I finished that yesterday and sent it today along with then there's all the all the corrections from the galleys. So uh, the corrections and the index have been sent off. I had a 30-minute chat with my production editor today. I had another chat with my editor, my se- the senior editor. Uh, we were just straightening out the, the um, image, the cover of the book. Um, he needed uh, last-minute information on that because, as you guys know, uh, in the, in the front copyright page, it also, among the information is the information for the book cover photo. So um, that was also going to the production department to be, you know, produced, to manufactured. So they needed to get that straightened away. And that was it. I mean, that's the last of it. Um, so I'm very excited, you know, and, and, and we still have the month of May in case any problems come up. But that was pretty much the last of it today. Um, like Chris, uh, this is the last week of, of classes for me, too. So, yeah, you know, caught up in, in grading and, and whatnot. And, um and other than that, just you know, uh, that's about it, really. Frankly, I, I, uh, and I've got this other thing I have to write that I have to get done pretty quickly. So as soon as, uh, as soon as the ske- the semester, the slate's cleared with the book and the grading, it's uh, I gotta, I gotta dive head first into this other project and get it done. It's about halfway through. Wow, that's a lot of work. Yeah. I remember uh, years and years ago talking to uh, Bob Burgoyne, my mentor and dissertation director, and uh, he was in the middle of indexing a book, and he was just talking about how terrible it was. <laughs> this is like way a long time ago when I was first doing graduate. I don't know what book it was, but he was like, yeah, indexing is the worst. <laughs> so so I, when you told me you had to index, I was like, yeah, I've heard that's pretty, that's pretty hard. Um, but, you know, it's got to be done. Someone has to do it. Yeah, it's it's unpleasant. There's indexing software you can buy, but um it's it's very expensive. Um if you want to buy it it runs around 500 bucks. If you want to buy a one-time sort of mission impossible version I call it, it explodes after you use it, you know, it's good for a title. Um that I found that for under 100, but that particular software didn't mesh with the software that my publisher uses so that ruled that out right there it uh, was it just wasn't doable so i had uh, to do it the old-fashioned way yeah by hand as by a hand. as a reader i think we take indexes for granted you know they just kind of appear magically in the book for us to use but, <laughs> i think that's true uh, nick won't anymore <laughs> take him for granted no they're not easy, man yeah. <laughs> they're not. i'm a week ahead of you guys that's why you know i've been uh kind of I guess bugging you guys to change the schedule because I like to record a little bit earlier, and I didn't. I didn't realize that you're still in class because my classes ended um, almost two weeks ago. Oh and my, my god! Yeah. Wow. And, yeah, and my our final exam period was last week, and then um, I had a problem where 
I, I did not, I don't know, I guess I wasn't prepared, but I didn't realize how early my grades were due. I knew they were due early, but I didn't realize how early. And I find my, I found myself over the weekend and on Monday going, Oh my gosh, I have a lot of work to do. And it was like just nonstop, you know, to I'm get, turning mine in tomorrow. Yeah. Mine were due at 2 PM on Monday and I turned them in at one fifty eight. It was like that, you know. Oh my God, that's down to the wire. Yeah, because who? Why two? Why two p.m.? You know. So anyway, um, I didn't realize. Mine are due till the thirteenth. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, like, are they due at two p.m. on the thirteenth? You know, I, you always um, figure it's like five or midnight or something. Right. You know? So I think third midnight, but no, no noon. You better find noon. out. <laughs> no, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have them done by the night of the 12th because it's the 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 grades the the grades for seniors I know are done by the 13th, so I'm just gonna get them all done uh, all done together. Well, look at you. Um, well, I did because the seniors so. need to graduate. <laughs> so the bad news was I had to scramble to do that. The good news was at 2:01 p.m. on Monday, my semester ended completely. <laughs> so I've been. Yeah, uh, yeah, really. So it's it's bittersweet, though, you know, because, well, it's more sweet than bitter, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I've got these holes in my schedule I had to fill. I put a lot of pressure on myself to get a lot of writing done and get other stuff done. Um, you, you know, and then if I don't, I kind of beat myself up a little bit. But that's just me. You know, I don't know if everyone's like that. But it's going to give me an opportunity, I hope, to get a lot of stuff done over the summer. Um, so we'll see about that though. We will see. I ran into a former student yesterday at Costco Uh and, uh, I was checking out and he was like, Hey, are you Eric Marshall? And I was like, yeah. And, uh, I, I recognized him, you know, from, from, uh, from being a, one of my film students. And he was like, you know, you've changed the way I look at film. And that's the one thing you love that's to hear. Yep. That's, yeah, that's the one th- thing you want to hear. Yeah, yep. The one thing you love to hear when you run into to former students, because that's kind of your job, you know? It's, it was so great to hear that. And then he said, the other thing I love to hear, which is, yeah, my girlfriend always gets pissed off at me when we watch movies. So I can't, she can't watch movies with me anymore. <laughs> and I said, well, you got to make her take a film class. That way you can talk about them together. Cause- yeah, that's always part of the... Uh- the summation lecture at the end of the semester, isn't it? You know, yep. when you're like, and you know, I, it is my sincere hope and desire that you will, you know, take skills away from this class that you didn't have before and that you will look at film in a different way. You know, the, the usual things yeah. you say. And so the funny thing is, is that, you know, when you're doing it right, that's exactly what they say to you when you bump into them later. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, yeah, we you know, we leave, we leave our little footprints behind, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know, so morose about it. I guess footprints, you know. And, <laughs> and when there was one set of footprints, that's when I was <laughs> <laughs> And then there was one. Oh man. Okay, good. Uh we have a new patron on Patreon. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Well, it would help if Jorge had an accent on one of the three A's. <laughs> it's either Zavala, Zavala, or Zavala. <laughs> Jorge, right. that's our from yeah. down under. 
yes, from down under in Australia. We're assuming he pronounces it Jorge. Anyway, you you might remember he wrote us a nice email several several episodes ago, and now he has uh, become our newest patron on Patreon. He uh, pledged at the five dollar level, which means that if you write us another email, Jorge, we'll be happy to uh, to read it on the air as a thank you for your for your patronage. Um, that's very very kind of you and if anybody else would like to uh support the show you can go to patreon.com slash that's a wrap with a w or just go to our website that's wrap show.com and uh we'll have a link there for you as well thank you in advance we appreciate the support yes and thanks again to jorge our fellow fellow connoisseur and lover and drinker of beer (laughs) yes yes (laughs) amen to that amen to that Yes. Speaking of which, I have to go get a beer out of the fridge. So uh, today we're doing the top 10 of the 80s. Uh, This will be a one-segment situation because uh, long-time listeners will know that these tend to go long. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you guys, I uh, posted today on Facebook, uh, I scanned in and posted my notes from uh, the last time we did this for the top 10 of the 90s, uh, my handwritten notes on our Facebook page. Yeah, it's really cool. And you guys can take a look at it. Um, Anybody can take a look at it. It's on Facebook. Just like us on Facebook and you can see it. Um, This time, the list is over twice as long i think it's at least twice as long and see. i had to really really pare it down and it was really painful to not include certain movies and i know you guys had the same problem i have 27 films listed yeah yeah me too yeah i've got a bunch um and so you know when you start cutting you're like what how can i not mention that how can that not be on the list but hey you know, we say top 10 for a reason, you know? That's so right. We could do top 20. We could do top five. Just think how hard that would be, you know? So um, I think the 80s are harder. Like I, th- I said last time that the 90s were going to be hard, but uh, because I think we all, we were all kind of adults, new adults in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But the 80s, I think, are hard for, for two reasons. I think, one, there's the huge nostalgia factor for all three of us. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah, because we oh, were... Yeah, we grew up in the '80s, right? So there's this huge nostalgia factor, and and then on top of that, the '80s was a decade you know, of the blockbuster. You know, I mean, you could argue that the blockbuster started in the '70s for sure, but I mean, the '80s is the um, is a decade where the it really became the the kind of main. It became mainstream, like the way that Hollywood worked. It was also the beginning of a lot of directors that we know today. It was the beginning of a certain type of comedy, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon. It was the beginning of neo noir to a large extent. Like there's all just those three veins right there, and 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 a certain type of science fiction. Like uh, all those things, you put them together, we could do top thirty each probably, and and have very little overlap. And you know, Eric, it's also the end of an era that is really sadly missed, which, which in fact, Tarantino and Rodriguez paid homage to in 2007's um, Grindhouse, which was, it was the sort of, the 80s marked the end of the modern, you know, independent exploitation era too. The, the Grindhouse, the Deuce, these things, you know, the, the um, 
uh, Roger Corman, New World Cinema, all that stuff sort of kind of, you know, with the advent of uh, uh, cable television really making its way into every household, the ubiquity of it all. It just, it cater- you know, and there would be like late night catering to that type of stuff. It just kind of was the last straw of all that, too. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's an era that'll never be again, you know, and so that's, that's also in the mix, too. Yeah. Let's not forget that the 80s were also a time when you had this kind of maturation of the slasher film, right? With, uh, you know, you had Halloween was started in the 70s, but then you had Nightmare on Elm Street, you had Friday the 13th in their, their multiple iterations, which kind of paved the way for the, the more visceral forms of horror that would come in the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. The the maturation for sure. All that stuff had seeds in the '60s, and found it sort of like perfect little symphonies in the '70s. But then were absolutely pun intended bled dry, and <laughs> that's good. Commodified by the end of the '80s. I mean, we had joked before we recorded that the easiest way to do this was I wrote you guys, okay, Friday the Thirteenth one through five, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, one through five. They're my top ten. Yeah, <laughs> so, and they all came in the 1980s. You know, every single one of them. Right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's so much going on. I, I think we're going to have, I can't wait till we do the seventies for the reason you just talked about, Nick, because it's, uh, well, for a couple of reasons, but that's one oh, of yeah, them. 70s you know, be and it'll be easier yeah. because yeah. I was 10 in 1980 right. and 20 in 1990. Right. And, uh, this was the most difficult and will be, we can all go all the way back to the twenties. Yeah. And, and this will be for sure the hardest one because, yeah. It's wide-eyed, childlike adoration is is what's it's what's really fueling my choices here. Yeah, same same here. And I should probably say I think I speak for all three of us um, when I reiterate what we said in the uh, last top ten we did is that our top tens are usually our favorite ten of that decade, not necessarily the <laughs> the best. You know, there's there's room for argument and there's room for disagreement, as um, I have heard endlessly about my uh, pick for number one for the '90s of The Crow. So, <laughs> so I've, I've heard I, you know, I, I back you 100. I've got a lot of flack for that. So, um, <laughs> I mean, it's good we get flack. You yeah, know? yeah, totally, totally. So. I'm looking at my list right now on which I have a lot of titles that I'm not even going to mention, um, and it makes me sad, but hey, you know, I mean, what are we going to do? So We got to do what we got to do. So we're going to do what we uh, what we usually do, which is we're going to zip through uh, 6 through 10 really quickly, and then we'll spend more time on 1 through 5, and we'll do it, uh, you know, kind of r- rotisserie style or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> rotisserie style. <laughs> Well, just slather me in butter and you know, rotate me, baby. Butter what? my buns and call me a biscuit. Like <laughs> usual. <laughs> um. And this is what happens when we all drink together. Yeah, yes. right. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go first because I never start okay. on these things. And, right. and so my number 10 uh, is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice choice. Yeah, very I, good choice. Uh, I love Phoebe Cates. Yep, yeah, yeah. I do love that film. Um, you know, it's it it's you know, I mean, it's great. I love Spicoli. You know, it's it's a good film. Um, it's one of those comedies I talked about. You know, there are all these comedies that kind of 
um, are in the same vein. You know, that I think the 80s spawn that we don't see much of anymore. Uh, number nine is, uh, this is way too low, but Ghostbusters is number nine. Ghostbusters, wow, okay. Yeah, that's it's probably too low. Um, I, I just, one of the things about a lot of these films is that I went through and I thought, okay, like there are some films I remember very fondly from my childhood, from the 80s, that I've never seen again. And there are films that I rewatch, and those are the ones I chose, the ones that I'm more likely to rewatch. And I've also been rewatching a lot of these because um, there's an 11 year old in the house, and you know, I think she should know the, some of these movies. So, um, absolutely. And, and the top of that, That's very good. Yeah, and the top yeah, of don't go to number eight yet. Don't go to number eight yet. Okay, okay, because number eight was actually I was going to segue into number eight by saying that, but I can hold it. Uh, do you want to talk about Ghostbusters for a sec? Yeah, well, I want to talk about both Fast Times and and Ghostbusters. Sure. Fast Times, I have a few things to say about myself later, but yeah, I mean, it's a that's a it's a perfect uh, candidate and it's such an important film. And Ghostbusters, yeah, that, it's not. I'm going to say right now, it's not on my list, but it it's it it you know it could have very easily been my yeah. my memory of that one was in that's eighty four, and we were on a Boy Scout. Uh, trip down to Kings Island in in Cincinnati. It's Cincinnati, isn't it? Yeah, I Kings think so. Island in Cincy, which is you know like a uh, amusement park for those of you who are not familiar with it, uh, roller coasters and stuff. And it, Ghostbusters had just opened, and so my whole you know, and we were a pretty naughty Boy Scout troop, <laughs> got into a lot of trouble. And we went, uh, you know, we went to uh, go see Ghostbusters. That wasn't the trouble. I mean, the, the Scoutmasters took us and stuff, you know. But it was like. Um, we got in trouble afterwards. So, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of fond memories wrapped up in that film, and it's one of the most quotable and you know pieces of genius '80s work I can think of. So, yeah, what the hell are you doing? Right, <laughs> greatest greatest quote of all time, probably. Right, Chris? I think so. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So those are uh, ten and nine. Um, eight was one of the films that I, I made sure the eleven year old saw recently, which is The Karate Kid. Nice, awesome. Oh, good. Uh, I, and that I can rewatch. That's a movie I can watch over and over again. Oh, yeah. Number seven is, uh, again, probably too low, but The Shining. Yeah, that's on you. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it's on your list. <laughs> and then number six is uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's a hell interesting. of a Hell of a six through ten there. That's my bottom uh, five. I know, I know. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? So those yeah, are my Karate Kid. It's funny. The first three you mentioned, I own all on Blu-ray. They're they're favorites of mine. I have I uh, Karate Kid's a film I can watch over and over and over. I didn't see that one in the theaters, but I watched it a million times with my grandfather. You know, and so it has a very special place in my mm. heart. You know, I, before we go on, uh, you just mentioned something that I, that I think is interesting that I want to clarify on my own. My. I, my family is kind of weird, and I don't think it's like – I don't know about you, Chris, but I know you and me, Nick, had very different upbringings. Um, and, and you can tell me, Chris, what you think, but sure. we never went to see movies. There, I, can, I can remember seeing maybe three movies in the theater, uh, most of the drive-in, um, off the top of my head, and, and, and some of them are on the list, so I won't mention them right now. But um, and it wasn't until we got a VHS player that I actually started watching movies, and this was probably in the mid '80s, mid '80s or so. And I remember one of the first things we rented was Ghostbusters, actually. Mm-hmm. So 
I my entire 80s, I saw all the films that like the big films that people saw, but I saw a lot of them later because we didn't watch, we didn't see a lot of films. We didn't go to the theater very often. I'm the oldest, uh, so I don't have an older brother to bring me to places. And, and my parents just weren't film watchers. So we never went to the movies. So I had this whole like like hole in my or I had a huge hole in my knowledge of film from about, well, from the 70s through the mid 80s. That's crazy, Eric, because um, mine is very, very similar. Um, I was raised by uh, my mom and my grandparents, and same thing. We did not, we didn't really go to the movies a lot. Um, we we got a we got a VHS player pretty early on, and then we got cable. So I watched a lot of movies on on VHS, and then when they started making the the runs on cable, I I watched them. Um, but most of the movies we watched, I mean, I watched on, uh, like, like television, like, um, just like television. I remember the channel in Detroit, the channel 50 creature feature, I think it was on Saturday afternoons. I would yeah. watch like the fly and, uh, like poltergeist or whatever, whatever, you know, the, the, and, and all of those. But my, yeah, we didn't, we didn't really start going to the theaters until I, 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 I got older. I saw s- some of the big ones in, in the theater, like return of the Jedi, um, and uh a couple others but uh yeah we i very very similar eric yeah okay so so for us our, our a lot of our memories will be of watching them later on vhs it sounds like yeah as I, you, Chris. as I look at my top 10 seven of them i saw in the theaters and as you guys know and listeners may know i lived in the movie theater i mean starting in the in 74 i think was my first drive-in that i remember uh which was the apple dumpling gang and then um there's of course the Jaws story, but um, yeah, I mean it was just particularly during the summer, uh, almost every day, uh, f- you know, just call up one of your five or six friends and ride your bike to the movie theater. It was only a buck and a half, buck seventy five to go see a matinee, something like that, and um, it just started. You know, it was a habit that started in the seventies and just carried through. You know, uh, particularly with my friend Mike Morgan. Mike and I just saw. I mean, every weekend from probably 1980 to 1988, I mean, we were, oh, shit, that reminds me. There's a film that I didn't list in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stories, actually, tonight. when Mike and I went I and saw this one particular film in 84. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. at any rate, yeah. So I had the very opposite upbringing. Yeah. Um, I was just uh, always in the damn theater. Yeah. So it's it's uh, our memories are going to be different. It's kind of interesting. I can tell you the first movie I saw in the theater without my parents uh, it was with my girlfriend, my high school girlfriend. It was uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Oh, you poor thing. I know. Well, well, I, well, yeah, for, I'm, I'm, well we were you know, already like dating, so it wasn't Hopefully like... Hopefully we're watching I mean? much of that that movie, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. You I know liked it. I love Star Trek, but... Uh, yeah, know, yeah, me too, me too. see me holding, pinching my nose. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, it's not the best Star Trek movie. Um, so anyway, that's I I wanted to interject that before we moved on because I think it's uh, it's going to be interesting because Nick will be like, I saw it in the theater. I saw that in the theater, and Chris and I will be like, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> I saw it yeah. we saw it on VHS or cable because it it shows that I was motivated enough to go see this movie in the theater, uh, and and then of course my experience of it will be different you know because of because there's very different experience watching something in the theater and watching something sure. at home yeah totally so yeah. who wants to go uh, unless chris you want to respond to my six through ten or someone else can go um i don't no i think you're six i think your six through ten are great uh i'll actually go next if that's all right sure 
Um, mine, I, Nick had had mentioned that he he was gonna think he was gonna be able to predict um, at least four of mine. So, um, Nick, if you when, when I when I when I do say one that you correctly predicted, uh, please you know please, yes. please chime in. Um, and mine mine are like I said, they're they're films that I come back to. And I use uh, either come back to them for my own pleasure, or I use them, uh, or they've just stood well, and I use them in teaching. Mm-hmm. So, um, and these are all—I mean, all ten of these are our favorites. I own all of them, and um, a few of them have like serious sentimental value to me. But um, so, my number ten is Scorsese's uh, *The Last Temptation of Christ*. Well, I never would have picked that. That's oh, that's oh a my great god! Movie. But it makes yeah. sense with your high school, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I went to a I went to a all boys Catholic prep school, and I went to a Catholic elementary school. So <laughs> that was very provocative. Yeah, 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 that was that was one that the first time I saw it, that was actually the film that really got me, um, it, that introduced me to Willem Dafoe, um, who is uh, still one of my one of my favorite actors. Um, and it's 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 absolutely uh, absolutely wonderful. Uh, my number nine is um, a film that I did for my dissertation, and that is uh, Frank Oz's Little Shop of Horrors, mm-hmm. uh, which had, uh, especially for the time, great great special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, number eight is uh, Back to the Future. Yeah, ding ding. Ding ding ding! Yeah, Nick knew that Back to the Future was gonna what <laughs> was, was was gonna be on there. I I just, I loved the film. I loved it from the first time I saw that one. I saw in the theater right. and I I fell in love with it. And then once I got the VHS, I wore out the VHS because I used to watch it <laughs> over and over and over and over again. And I I used to love being you know. A young kid and and you know saying when this baby hits eighty eight miles an hour you're going to see some serious shit. And I would always get in trouble with my mom, <laughs> uh, which I usually did for swearing. Um, no surprise to anybody who knows me really well. So back to the futures at number eight. <laughs> number seven is um, Paris, Texas, which Holy is one. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. that's uh, it's Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, and that's one that I use. I I love the film. I love the the bleak Texas landscape. And I, I sometimes <laughs> when I'm t- doing lance, um, talking about landscape and mise en scène in films, um, an intro uh, or history, I put in, you know, I'll put in like uh, Paris, Texas, as well as um, There Will Be Blood or 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 uh, um, No Country for Old Men. So, uh, Par- yeah, again, Paris, Texas is one where the 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 landscape seems to come alive i really really love that movie and it's it holds up so well and then number six um is the shining ah, okay the shining so um two, yeah two so those, those are my, my bottom t- bottom six two of those were completely under my radar i didn't really expect i figured that everything that you guys say that i don't have on my list will have been in my honorable mention or on the list in front of me but last temptation of christ totally went under my radar and i love that movie i think it's a really really strong movie uh, very much so written by paul schrader directed by barton scorsese you know mm-hmm. and paris texas i remember paris texas i remember sure. watching it it's, i remember it being a good movie but i don't i don't uh it's not that fresh in my mind, but it's that's a that's a good one. Um, yeah, it's kind of an esoteric uh, esoteric list for me. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's it's kind of an interesting list for me. But those are the ones that when I was doing this, this actually, I mean, it was hard because there were so many films. But oh. once I sat down and I just wrote my list, I didn't 
I didn't make any changes. I you know, didn't. it's funny. I, I, first of all, I wanted to comment on Chris's uh, bottom five there and just say that, yeah, uh, agreed. Um, Last Temptation and Paris, Texas completely uh, took me by surprise. Both films I have not seen literally in, you know, 20 years. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, Paris, Texas, I'm not even sure what year that came out, mid late 80s. But, uh, uh, yeah, like 80, but, 86 or 87. Yeah, and, and I think Temptation's 87, and something like yeah, that. Yeah, it is. And I, I remember um, not even seeing that until a few years later. So, I mean, it's been a very long time since I've seen both of those films. Uh, as for Back to the Future, it's clearly one of my favorites. I saw it, I saw it like five times in the theater, you know, because you'd go see it with some friends and then everybody else would be like, hey, hey, Robbie, what are you doing Saturday? Oh, we're going to go see Rob Back to the Future. I've, I've already seen it, but I'll go again, you know, like, <laughs> right. that. and your parents want to go see it. And right. uh, um, so, yeah. Actually, that, and, Paris, Texas is 1984. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was 84. Wow. 84. That was earlier. Yeah. I thought, geez. So, you know, and, and Shining, I mean, I have very, very, very um, powerful memories of that. I saw that in the theater. Uh, and it was one of the most terrifying experiences I ever had as a 10-year-old was, was seeing that film in the theater. Uh, so yeah, ooh, ten seeing The Shining, boy, yep. that's yep. that would that would that would fuck me up at ten. It did, I, it really God. did. Yeah. I watched it over again at Brad Fuqua's. I was sleeping over, and we, he had on TV and some Saturday night, and it came on again, and I was like freaking out all over again because yeah. it came on, and that was maybe eighty. That'd be eighty. One or eighty-two, I guess, somewhere around there. Jesus, I'm trying to just put myself in a ten-year-old's mind, and then seeing that iconic scene with uh, where he where he's riding the the big wheel through the halls of the hotel, and then you see the two girls, and yeah, then you see the scenes of them, the bodies all. Re- I was like, oh, I can't even imagine a ten-year. Yeah. I mean, I'm an adult, and I mean, the, I love that movie, but it, well, that's actually just like, seeing so, it. You know, yeah. I saw it with my brother. We went and and we saw it in the theater, and um. He had just bought the paperback and because uh, it just had come out in paperback, and uh, he had also bought the Symphony Fantastique, the Berlioz, you know. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so we were we were listening to the Witch's Sabbath, you know. And after we watched the film, and I think it was really just the believe it or not, I mean, there were several scenes that scared the shit out of me, but it was actually just the opening when that helicopter shot in the theater, you know, when you're ten and that music's yeah. playing as you're flying into the Overlook. Yeah, I knew I was in for like a really disturbing evening, <laughs> and <laughs> didn't disappoint. You know, yeah, I saw that as a I was young too. I was probably eleven or twelve. Um, we saw it on, on at someone's house, and it wasn't in the theater, which I'm sure it was ten times worse. But I remember being really creeped out for a very long time, yep. and, and then I didn't see it again until uh, I think it was intro to film in college in Bob's class again, and that's when I realized how how just incredible of a movie it was. Well, you know, as an aside, Eric, um, there are only three films that scared me growing up. Just three. Uh, the the first, I, I need, think I can guess one of them. I needed therapy for you know which one's that, Eric? I mean, Chris, Exorcist. Yeah, Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, I knew that one. Way too young. Um, secondly, Brides of Dracula truly terrified me. <laughs> uh, there's a scene in there that st- it still is is brilliant. And uh, and The Shining, and that was it. Those were only three films that ever scared me. Everything else was kind of tame. Yeah, Paris. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, The Shining. Uh, so okay, uh, we're <laughs> I think we're at like forty minutes or so, and we haven't even gotten to Nick's uh, ten, six through ten. So <laughs> we should probably move along. Well, right, go for guys, it, Nick. I just want you to know I spared no expense. And I sent my list off to be tabulated by um, Price Waterhouse, you know. <laughs> and good, when good, they, good. they sent it back, the accounting firm tabulated the results, and they told me that number ten was a tie. You can't have a tie. I that's tie. what the, dude. I've got the documentation. There's no ties in baseball, man. I've got the documentation. There's no tying in baseball. baseball. <laughs> <laughs> not baseball. They have ties for the Academy Awards. So I guess they can have ties for this. I've never seen a tie in the Academy Awards. When have this ever been a tie in the Academy Awards? and Catherine Hepburn. Oh, actress. Wow. Oh, son of a bitch. One time in 70 years. What's up on your Academy trivia, guys? One time in 70-some years? I think there was another time it happened. All right, what's your your 6 through 11? Okay, 6 through 10. (laughs) <laughs> are uh the tie in and they're almost like the opposite sides of the same coin here so nick wants uh, us to go three ten, hours <laughs> 10 is the evil dead and um fright night it's a tie okay that's oh, a, those that's are good a, choices i can yeah, see that so um i you know horror wasn't represented in my top 10 and those were the two most important horror films that i saw uh in that decade um for me uh so, you know, Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead, you know, I think I think is pretty self-explanatory if, if people haven't seen it. It's a low-budget, you know, masterpiece. And Tom Holland's Fright Night is also, you know, unequivocally a, a low-budget masterpiece that was done with such love and with such wonderful casting and such an intelligent and witty script that um, I just have such great memories of both of those films. Fright Night I saw in the theater. The Evil Dead, my uh, – in ninth grade, my um, – AV teacher, Mr. Smack. Hey, Mr. Smack. Mr. Smack brought in on like three reels, you know, 16 millimeter reels, the Evil Dead, because he knew, you know, somebody had worked on the film. Somebody was running sound, I think. And so he, we had these copies of it. And so first hour in ninth grade, we used to sit there and watch the Evil Dead. The best part was when the teachers would walk in to make copies. He'd like shut it off and put on like Good Morning America. <laughs> They'd run their copies and then we'd turn back the Evil Dead on, which was that, that's a great teacher. Yeah, well, Mr. Smack was the best. I love Mr. Smack. Uh, so that's that's my tie. I'm sorry, guys. I mean, if you have a problem with it, you call call Mr. Price and Mr. Waterhouse. <laughs> Number nine is First Blood, uh, which I think is an absolute uh, a masterpiece of the film too. I don't know if you Rambo. Guys- interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First Blood, I think, is a is an incredible film mm-hmm. uh, with an incredible script based on an incredible novel with an incredible score by Jerry Goldsmith and incredible performances by everybody involved, particularly Brian Dennehy and and uh, um, Sylvester Stallone, um, and of course Richard Crenna is fantastic in that too. Uh, my number eight is uh, a film that Chris very often cites. Uh, because he does the best, the best uh, Aretha Franklin in the world, and that's the Blues Brothers. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Uh, Blues Brothers. I don't think I need to say anything about. It. Everybody knows John Landis's uh, masterpiece. It's uh, without doubt the greatest car chase ever filmed in North America that I can think. Because um, there's a couple in Europe that that rival it, but uh, uh, in North America. Number seven is what I consider to be an absolute perfect comedy, but I know neither one of you guys have seen it, but it's, uh, it's an absolute 
again, masterpiece, and that's uh, Robert Zemeckis's Used Cars from 1980 with Kurt Russell and Jack Warden. And um, if, if listeners don't that, know this film, it is seriously one of the greatest comedies ever made. It can be argued it might be the greatest. You know, I mean, it is absolute. It's genius. Used Cars is my number seven. And number six is a film that I did not see in the theater, but um, has a very special place in my heart. In fact, Blu-ray just finally came out, which I had had it pre-ordered. And that's uh, a, a directorial effort from Burt Reynolds. It's uh, 1981's Sharky's Machine. And Sharky's Machine is an absolute stellar, stellar cast based off of a great novel by William Deal. Uh, Bert directs with such confidence and the stunning Rachel Ward, which we talked about in episode 34, a lot, uh, of our against all odds, Rachel Ward is just so beautiful in that as the high priced call girl domino. Uh, and so that's my, uh, 10 through six. Okay. I, uh, I, I don't know Sharky's machine. I never heard of it. So. I've never heard of it either, but I know Nick has mentioned used cars before. He's yeah. a couple times he said, "Watch that film." Well, we're I gonna, think it's somewhere in a, later in the year. We're, we're going to talk about Zemeckis, so well, I think Chris and Al will both watch used cars for that. Um, Sharks Machine. Oh, yeah. You guys know that I I collect a lot of movie memorabilia. That was yeah. the very first poster, the Canadian one sheet that I ever bought. Oh, <laughs> was Sharks Machine? Yeah, huh. which I still have. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a good list. Um, I don't have anything much to add to it, really. It's it's a it's a good list. Good list. Yeah, two movies I haven't seen, so I'll put them on my list of uh, things to watch for sure. Which right. haven't you seen? Oh, Sharks Machine and Used Cars. That's yep. it. Okay. Yep. Yep. Good. Cool. Good. All right. I think we're off to a pretty good start here. A great start. Yeah. Yep. Um, who wants to start with five? Chris or me? Because Nick just went. Uh, I'll go. Okay. Sure. Um, my number five is one that was actually in Eric's uh, six through ten. Okay. And that's Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing." Oh, I'm so ah. I'm so glad because I wanted to talk more about it. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, I think it as as far as a, a film that gets to the heart of the racial conflict in the Bed Stuy neighborhood of Brooklyn. I don't think you could have a better a, a better film. I don't think you could have a a finer uh, direct directorial effort Agreed. on on the the uh, the part of Spike Lee. Spike Lee is one of my favorite filmmakers, and um, I I love his work. I loved love Bamboozled, love Malcolm X, love Jungle Fever. I love everything he's done. And um, do the right thing is it's one that I teach every single semester for Intro to Film. Mm-hmm. I never get tired of it. I ha- I I own I own it. I own the Criterion DVD. Um, and the 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 acting is great. The mise en scène is absolutely beautiful. It's tragic. And sad, and powerful, and moving, and I think that I think that considering everything that's been going on right now in America with 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 the the race kind of the the race wars coming back up, I think it's a film that everybody needs to see. And I and and if there's, you know, we've been talking a lot about this discussion on race. I think that that would be a film that would kickstart 
uh, the discussion, and I think it's one that should kickstart the discussion. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, phenomenal. The 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 music uh, is is great, and there's the the performances by all of the actors. Uh, whether it's Sam L in that kind of bit role as kind of the quote unquote narrator, the the DJ Love Daddy, Daddy. or Asi Davis, or, uh, or 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 Spike Spike. Or all the young talent you met. Or all the young talent. Have, have I mean, big careers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that launch that film launched a lot of young young actors. I still don't. I um, can't see John Turturro in any film without thinking about uh, oh, yeah. do the right thing. I it, I just right. You know what I mean? You can't get past it. And it's sad though it, that that film from 1989 is is completely relevant today. Completely oh, yeah, relevant yeah. to what's going on in Baltimore right now, what was going on near St. Louis, in you know, in Ferguson, and what was going on, in, you know, potentially in Cleveland, and what's going around the around the country in terms of police brutality, in terms of you know, white cops and in black neighborhoods, all this. It's it's unfortunately, it's very it's very. I don't know if it's prescient or if, or if the situation hasn't changed. I think that's more likely what it is. But, um, but real great piece of cinema, and that's I think why also I I show it. Um, so much in classes is because of the fact that it's timeless. It's it stays relevant. It, yeah, yeah right. I'm a well, huge I hope, fan. I hope it stops being relevant at some point, but yeah, right, so right. far it stays relevant. And, and, and right, historical, and and yeah. that would be that would be great. I'm a huge fan of that film. I, uh, I I never grow tired of it. I think it's one of those moments. I find Spike to be inconsistent, and I think oh, it's yeah. one of those films where he captured lightning in a bottle, to use that sort of tired phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of his relative inexperience and because of his enthusiasm and sort of unbridled passion for the subject matter and the talent that he amassed. And I'm including Ernest Dickerson there too, because sure. I mean, a lot, I think of the, the visuals, you know, he authored those beautifully. And, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a, it's, I think it, if I had to pick one Spike Lee film that was most representative of his career, I don't know if he'd agree. I would say that that's, that's that great, the great talented young filmmaker, you know, whether it's through, you know, uh, blind luck or, you know, um, years and years of dedication to a craft or a conflation of the two, I don't know, but it's, it's, uh, it's one for the ages, I think, do the right thing. Yeah, I think it defines I, his career. I agree. It defines his career. The only film of his that I think is, comes close to rivaling it um, is Bamboozled from 2000. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Bamboozled. Yeah. Is phenomenal. Yeah, I think it, it's it's larger. I think its context sometimes is lost on mainstream audiences. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's yeah, no doubt is it a great great film. Yeah, it, it is, and I think for and I think you hit the nail on the head, Nick. I think for ma- mainstream audiences, I think it's kind of a it, it's it's a the subject matter. I think is a little more difficult. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Nick, you or me? I'll go. Um, number five for me is, uh, wow, man. When I think of the eighties, this is one of the films that just pops into my head. I don't know how many times I saw this damn thing at the theater, but it was double digits. And that would be 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) Um, the, the wonder twin powers of Spielberg and Lucas Mm -hmm. activating, Mm -hmm. uh, for this, um, this masterpiece is, um, a real moment in history, I think. Uh, you know, building off of the um, 
the forward momentum that Lucas had with Star Wars and bringing in, you know, one of his leading men from that, Harrison Ford, and giving the reins to Spielberg uh, and uh, handing over the, the, um, the screenplay to Kasdan. And then, of course, having John Williams put his exclamation point on it. Guys, is there any greater film? I mean, Raiders is... Is is the essence of cinema, you know? I mean, it's why we go. It's why people went to the serials in the first place. Whether it was Flash Gordon, or you know, um, uh, I, I'm, or, or, or you know, Buck Rogers. It just doesn't matter. I mean, it was the whole the whole allure of of going to the uh, far off place and going on an adventure. I know that it was never really better realized, I think, than in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Plus, it features the coolest college professor in some yeah, history as, 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 as the protagonist. You know, when I, te- I teach a, a lot of media writing, and and I have the students read the first ten pages of the hundred and twenty-five page um, discussion that Cavs and Lucas and Spielberg had um, over Raiders of the Lost Ark at that uh, weekend, where they, you know, there's a transcription of their story meetings when they're handing off the project to Kasdan. And it just the sheer amount of knowledge, and this is one thing I always, you know, like really try to instill in the students is like the sheer amount of uh, intellectual knowledge that Spielberg and Lucas had about film. These guys grew up worshiping film. They grew up in the age of early film criticism and were themselves major era 70s Hollywood brats. They, they knew, you know, they, they, if you cut them, they bled cinema. And so they, their knowledge of everything, and when you read this, is it's like, my God. I mean, I don't know that we have that. We've lost a little bit of that in today's culture, I think. Oh, we've that lost for, a lot of it. That, that knowledge and awareness of what came before. Or if we do have it, it's just uh, pastiche, you know, kind of Tarantino-style pastiche. Right. You know. I, I don't know if that's fair to say that we've lost it, but it, it, there is something about those guys. Lost, that, you know, I think you we said I lost some of it, right? Yeah, um, uh, I meant if I didn't say that, what I meant is, is say is we've lost some of that. Yeah, because I said we've lost a lot of it. it. Still, I mean, it's not lost, you know. But it's let's just say it's not the flags aren't being flown as highly as they used to be. Yeah, it's hard to imagine uh, a collaboration like that with those. Yeah, with people of that caliber for sure. You know, I told you, I think I told you this, Nick, uh, a couple of years ago. Maybe it was last year when um, they re-released. Raiders uh, in IMAX. We both went and saw it, yeah. Yeah, so when I saw it, though, it was in, I saw it on a Wednesday afternoon. I had been, uh, I had a morning class uh, at OCC, and I went right after my morning class. Uh, so it's like one thirty, two o'clock or something like that. And, you know, the IMAX in the IMC Livonia, is, it's huge, like an IMAX should be. I was the only person there. Mm-hmm. I was the only person there and uh they had a problem with the projector i had to go get somebody but i sat right in the middle you know with my feet stretched out in that little like aisle in the middle with the you know the walkway for like half the film and mm-hmm. sat there and watched it then i got up and went to the back for a while came back towards the front <laughs> i might as well change my viewing position i was the entire film i was the only person in the imax raiders and it was spectacular man it was, it was. Great i, I you know, talked about it i went with my former student ethan and we went to the same place that you know Eric mm-hmm. and I saw it in the same theater. Him, he had the whole theater ourselves. We had a we had maybe twenty thirty people in there on a mm-hmm. matinee. But yeah, I mean it's one hundred and twenty minutes of you know it's perfect. So it's, good. It's, uh, it's it's a great movie. You know it's just so perfect. Yeah. 
Anything else to add, Chris, or should I move on to mine? Oh, I, I, I mean, you guys, you guys nailed it. I mean, you, you know, to me, Ra- you know, I, I saw Raiders pretty long, pr- pretty, pretty, pretty young, uh, with my whole family. So there's a lot of nostalgia there. My whole family sat around watching, and I, I remember, and I'll talk, I'll come back to this about the music. Uh, for my number two film, but I just remember that that trumpet, that dun dun dun, dun yeah, dun, 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 yeah, sorry, that fanfare, March. Raiders March is what it the is. Raiders yeah. March. That's it, the Raiders March, yeah. and that just I, I mean, that was one of the films that helped me fall in love with film music. So, love Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, my number five also has a musical tie-in to it, I, I guess, in a way. Um, <laughs> nice segue, right, Eric? Um, my number five, did I say six? My number five is um, from 1986. It's a film that Roger Ebert gave one star. Any guesses? Top Gun. <laughs> it's uh, David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, yeah, yeah. no, nah, I'm not surprised. She Roger Ebert will... only gave that one star? Yeah, yeah, when it came out. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah he hated it. I uh, guess why, too. Yeah, Blue Blue. I'll I'll link to in the show notes to the to his review, but uh, that's a movie I can watch over and over again. It's so. In fact, you do. In fact, I do. I do. I do often show it to classes. Yeah, Um, I haven't in a couple semesters, but I often do. Um, It's still disturbing. People still are like, "What in the world?" Um, I just finished rewatching. Twin Peaks, the entire Twin Peaks series, which is very uneven, as you know, um, and it has a, you know, Kyle McLaughlin, but um, Blue Velvet predates Twin Peaks, and, and he's playing a similar character. It's very naive. Um, I guess he's not naive in Twin Peaks, but just kind of young, um, open to the world kind of character. But Blue Velvet, it has this great suburban small town slash small town feel where like you can't go across the certain road on, you know, don't go across Lincoln street. And there's this just underneath the surface. If you remember blue velvet at the beginning, when his, uh, is it his dad or his uncle? Cause his dad has the, what seems to be a heart attack. You can never figure out what the heck's going on in that film when he's watering the lawn and then he falls down and the dog's nipping at the water and it goes, the camera comes down and you see the cockroaches and the bugs and the, whatever they are, the, um, beetles, the beetles turning through the dirt and that's the whole movie right there. It's, it's you know, this dark underbelly of a seemingly normal place. And the seemingly normalness is completely overacted and overdone. And it's so pristine. You get that image of the white picket fence and the flowers. And uh, it's just... And the song, of course, over and the, the credits. Song. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, the Blue Velvet song. And I just love that film. And, you know, it was a much longer film. And he had to cut it down to two hours because the studio wanted it down to two hours, which which I think is part of why it's so incomprehensible in parts. But I like that about it. Yeah, me too. You know, I, maybe maybe they should have had him like chop Mulholland Drive down to two hours. I shouldn't say that. That's so mean. I, I like Mulholland Drive, but oh, no, I you think, know, yeah, every but, minute's earned. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so Blue Velvet. Um, Kyle McLaughlin, Dennis Hopper in a completely oh, unforgettable role. Uh, 1986, David Lynch. That's my number five. Yeah, that was Hoppy's big uh, comeback. Oh, Who's yours? Blue Velvet. 
he was really uh, tapping into something. And after yeah. his sort of like uh, kind of halfway self-imposed, but also almost a Hollywood blacklisting of him mm. for the you know most of the seventies, really, but not for not for like whack purposes. Right. <laughs> uh, I I think yeah, Blue Velvet's a masterpiece. I'll never. I don't think anybody forgets the first time they ever saw that film. For mm. me, it was with my old roommate Fred on VHS in college. Uh, I hadn't seen it yet. Um, I had, I, in fact, from Lynch, all I had seen was The Elephant Man, which I saw in the theater, by the way, and um, and Eraserhead, you know, in high school, which you know, I, I don't know that I know, I understand any better now than I did when I was sixteen. But I don't uh, think anyone understands that <laughs> but that film. Now better now than they did when they first saw it twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's endlessly open for interpretation, but but Velvet is just special. You know, yeah. it's just special. It's again, it's I think the thing we talked about with Spike Lee that sort of everything coalescing into the great film. You know, that great moment. Yeah, I I agree with that for sure. I first saw it with I was probably um eighteen, nineteen, twenty. I don't know. It might have been my early twenties. Actually, it was it was a little bit later, and I uh, a film professor I had, or English professor I had, female, uh, mm-hmm. was over. She showed it to me at her house, and I remember just wondering, like, why am I here watching this with her? Like, what is she? You know, like, because it's pretty creepy. I'm for wondering a, too. <laughs> for a young, well, I was just thinking that for a young man, it's very you know. There's a lot of uh, threatened castration, and um, you know, like you don't know what's going to happen in that scene when he's uh, when they're in the car, you know, and uh, it's. You know, and I'm like, what is going? I mean, it it really pushed those buttons of like, oh no, 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 you know, dangerous, dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I won't go into my relationship with that professor at all, but um, but you know, maybe there was He's something doing. there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure listeners yeah. are very intrigued. Yeah, maybe there was a uh, uh, castrating tendency in that in that uh, in that relationship. We'll say I don't know, <laughs> but. <laughs> I don't think she listens to this. I doubt she listens to this, but um for your sake I hope she doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter at this point, unfortunately. Sadly. Uh let's move on. Um <laughs> before I to our number 4, getting myself in trouble. Um so yeah, blue velvet for me. So number 4 who should start for number 4? I don't know. You you keep track of it, don't you? Yeah, but it's always just random. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, why don't you go number four? My number four is uh, shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. I would go so far as to argue that it's probably the film of of my generation. Uh, at least, I mean, the comedy, the most the, the comedy of my generation, and and the most probably the most quotable film in in all of history. Uh, and that's Caddyshack. I was gonna say Caddyshack. Yeah, yeah Caddyshack. Nineteen uh, eighties Caddyshack is. Uh, I mean, what, what do I really need to say about Caddyshack? We, uh, if, 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 if somebody hasn't seen Caddyshack um, and you're, I don't know, over 16, you really need to see Caddyshack. I, it's yeah. sort of like a, a rite of passage in, into uh, adulthood, I think. Um, you know, this was a film that when we finally got VHS copies of it, we would like, you know, f- go frame by frame, uh, you know, forward uh, just to get to watch like um, – uh, what's her face? Uh, Cindy. Um, I can think of her name right now. Um, Lacey Underall. Lacey Underall. I'm trying to think of the actress's name. Uh, Cindy Morgan. 
Cindy Morgan, yeah, just to watch Cindy Morgan go down the the, the blue slide, you know, with ch- in, in, into the pool. I mean, it was like you know the pool or the pond. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just it's just one of those. Pond to be good for you. Pond to be good for you. Um, <laughs> it's just it's Caddyshack. There's nothing I can say about it other than it's got its own zip code and its own hemisphere. It's 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 a magisterial comedy, and uh, you know, what, what can I say? It's Caddyshack. You know, I will only say one thing in response. Hmm. And that would be Al Chervik's horn. <laughs> yeah, it looks good on you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you had that queued up tells me that it must be on your list as well, right? <laughs> it, it, it is, yeah. It's, it's, Kenny Shack is, is pretty high on my list. Mm. You know, with, with, with that film, and I, I have to say, I, I, I adore every single second. I think I could quote the entire movie uh, and um, – Nick for uh, Chris was it birthday or Christmas? Nick Christmas, I, I think. I think it was Christmas. I think it was Christmas. Nick got me a replica of Judge Smale's hat <laughs> nice. uh, that now sits in my office at Westfield State, right. and uh, because I, I, I uh, for many reasons, but one because I'm I'm very well known for buying uh, hats that I get a, or hats getting hats that I get with a free bowl of soup. Uh, so uh, that 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 film oh that film is 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 is. Very, very special to me, and and I want that horn at some point on a future car. You know, uh, yeah. There was I was gonna say there was a skit on SNL with uh, Tim Tim Meadows, I think, where uh, this guy's interviewing for a job and it's not going well, and he and he busts out a line from Caddyshack and it breaks the tension, <laughs> and everybody, and then they all start busting out lines from Caddyshack, and then it shows like a montage of him getting the job and them going out to lunch and getting drunk and just doing nothing but Caddyshack quotes the whole time, showing how that film kind of like was responsible for this man's success in life. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah, great. that is great. Oh my gosh. Well, so uh, Nick's number four was Caddyshack, which is we know higher up on Chris's list. My number four, I think I might poach one of yours as well. Uh, Chris, so I'm thinking you should go first in case I'm poaching like your number four, just on the off chance. Um, okay, all right. Well, all right. So I guess we've the cat's out of the bag with my candy shack. I'll come to candy shack later. My number four is far more serious. It is, I think, perhaps one of. Ding, ding, ding. Hmm. I know. What this I th- is. I think it's probably the definitive. Yep. Ooh, uh, uh, war film. No, of oh, uh, the 1980s. I think Kubrick? I just threw Nick. Yeah, yeah, you totally did. I, knew, I thought oh, I knew it's, that. It's going to be um, the Kubrick film. Um, Full Metal Jacket? Full Metal Jacket. No, no, it's I'm not. I'm surprised. Uh-uh. It's, it's, it's not. Full Metal Jacket. It's a film about a war. With Tom Cruise? Is Tom Cruise... Um, no, Tom Cruise is not in it. One of Nick's hated actors is in it. What could it be? With the James Horner score. I don't hate and a James and a, and a James Horner score oh, that was also oh, recorded by the fantastic. the boys. I've shown that every year for eleven years. Great choice, one of the what best films ever made. And that's Glory. Yeah. Oh, Glory. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a big fan. That my you know I. I I'm not a huge, huge, huge fan of war films, but the two two wars that I always find so fascinating to read about uh, because I'm a history nut is the Civil War and the American Revolution. 
a poor, you know, very appropriate American Revolution. I live in Massachusetts. I'm soaking up the history, but the Civil War also um, is. I just I read shit about it all the time, and I love anything that has to do with the Civil War. And glory, I think, is probably one of the one of the uh, definitive Civil War picks. I think that the James Horner score. I get goosebumps whenever I hear it. Me too. Uh, it, it, you know, it was recorded by the Boys Choir of Harlem, and it's such a moving film um, about about this 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 black regiment. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's Our, a great film. That was under my radar as well. Um, that I did not see that coming. That's uh, yeah, that's a. I haven't seen that film since the '90s. See, I'm still I'm I, I'm still full of surprises, guys. I, I can be predictable in some ways, but in some ways you I'm full are, of surprised. Yeah. Uh, you guys know that I've uh, been showing that uh, in Intro to Film for I kind of oh yeah along. Oh, yeah. I do yeah. a historical representation unit, and we talk about how you know the lag time for Hollywood getting things right was considerable. I mean, it was many many decades before uh, any accuracy was even really attempted. Um, to not do harm to history, but glory is, is, you know, it started in the seventies, but I mean, really glory is the, is the sort of like accumulation of all that. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, for the, and then followed by dances with wolves, which really yep. celebrates and, and there's a tr- tremendous amount of empathy for native American culture. So we talked about this in a previous podcast, but glory, Chris. Yeah. I mean, you, you'll find no bigger fan. I love it. That's a great choice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very right, good. That's my number four. Eric, what is yours? My number four is one I think might have poached one of yours, but maybe not. Um, it's, it's, it's obvious. It's Spielberg. It's about an extraterrestrial um, E.T. Now, I did not realize this. I just pulled it up on IMDb as I was getting ready, and I didn't realize this, but it came out on my 10th birthday, June 11th, 1982. 1982, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wacky. The same day of my 10th birthday. Well, anyway. awesome. Did you go to the was it, was it a Chuck E. Cheese uh, E.T. <laughs> birthday party? <laughs> no, but I did see, E.T. was one of the ones I did see it in the theater um, that, that my parents took us to. Um, I don't remember if it was a drive-in or not. I think it was just a regular theater. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, E.T., the extraterrestrial. It's so... It's so heartwarming, you know, sure. and it's so fun. And I don't know of, like, even to this day, I don't know of a film that that does what ET does, you know, um, in terms of just the writing. I think the writing is really just incredible. And you know, you always think about Reese's Pieces, the product placement, which yeah. is kind of unfortunate, yeah. you know, in a way. But uh, because I mean, there's so much more to that film. But you know, I think we can. You know, all, an interesting yeah. story is yeah, yeah. that. The production team originally approached M&M's, and M&M's backed off. Yeah, they were not yeah. they were not interested. Yeah, and when Reese's Pieces, which I think was uh, it wasn't M&M Mars yet, it's now it's M&M Mars. It's owned by I think it was maybe Hershey. Okay. I think Reese's Pieces is Hershey, and um, they when Reese's Pieces jumped at it, the sales of Reese's Pieces uh, after that film came out. Just mm-hmm. they eclipsed M and M's, and M and M's was left smacking their head, saying, "What the fuck did we miss out on?" It was yeah, I mean, oh, great, yeah. great, great backstory you know, about E.T. Bug was on every package of Reese's yeah. Pieces, you know, his big long neck and his 
round head. <laughs> his big long neck and his round head. That <laughs> ET, you know. <laughs> That's hilarious. His silhouette, his big old silhouette against the moon on that bicycle. <laughs> that Amblin Entertainment uh, iconography. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That was a great summer, man. I remember seeing <laughs> E.T. and Grease 2 and Poltergeist at my the Maple 3. I lived across the street from it. Oh, man. God, what a mix. I used to walk up. Well, that was the three films that were playing there that summer. It was uh, Grease 2, uh, which I love, and, um, and uh, E.T. and Poltergeist that summer. I think I saw each of them about five times. That's a big difference between then and now, too, is that like when you say it was playing all summer, that doesn't even make any sense to uh, to today's uh, moviegoer, you know? No way. Like the uh, Avengers Age of Ultron comes out, I think, tomorrow or the next day. And um, it's going to be a huge moneymaker. It's going to be ridiculously profitable, but it won't be around for more than a month. Yeah. You know, maybe three weeks, four weeks, right? You know, back then the, the they would give like ET did play all summer, and it played, yeah. you know, for yeah. it played for um, I don't know how long it played. It was at least six months. I mean, that thing just I'm went sure. on and on and I'm on. Sure. They would they would give things a chance, and they would run them. But of course, you didn't have DVDs and VCRs and video on demand and other yeah. other and the ownership, you know, was so much different. Ownership you know? was so much and, different. And then second yeah. run was such a large. I mean, they could yeah. then it could make the circuit in second run yep, theaters yep. too. So, yeah. I mean, it just it played forever. Uh, it's such so, a great choice, though. You know, yeah. um, uh, it's 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 a film that if you were uh, that age in that decade, it it affected you. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. So that's my number four. Um, so th- we all we've all done four, right? Right. Yep. So three, 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 three. Want me to go yeah. number three? Sure. Uh, okay. Uh, my number three is going to be. Uh, oh, it looks good on you, though. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number three is Caddyshack. Um, I I saw I saw Caddyshack. I was super, I was super super young when I saw Caddyshack, and I remember watching it. I watched it on cable. And I was watching it with my grandpa and my two uncles, and it was yeah, it was and it was like on a holiday. Good and it was like like Christmas. Oh my god! <laughs> my, my, my my grandmother and my aunts were all upstairs doing the dishes, and we watched Caddyshack. And I was, I mean, I was guy. I don't even remember how old I was. I was really, really young, and I just and my my grandpa and my two uncles and they they didn't give two shits about the fact that there was nudity or that there was language. You know, I I watched it and I loved it, and I I they were guffawing and and I just I I was eating up every second. And now whenever I whenever I need to have a laugh, I I I, I immediately put that movie on, and all I have to do is. Especially with 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 you two, and with a certain a couple of other people like uh, Sharif uh, Shockey and our friend Fred, uh, all I have to do is just say one or two one or two words like unga gulunga, and, I, and immediately it starts a, a chain of Caddyshack references, and right. it's just that 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 community that we have <laughs> through this film, and it's I think it's and there's I think that's it's it's like that with. Uh, with a lot of, I mean, I think, 
I think the film appeals more to guys, but I yeah. think there's a, the, that there's a lot of guys, right? Where there's a lot of group of guy friends where all you have to do is just say a, a, a couple words from Caddyshack and it oh, explodes. And I think that's that's just that's fucking cool. And I love the movie. I love everybody in the movie. I love the fact that Bill Murray's almost all Bill Murray's dialogue was improvised. Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. So leave the pack. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. <laughs> Cinderella. That's all that Cinderella story. Ooga galuga. So Over. I got that going for me. <laughs> And Mur- you know, it, Murray came up with that. I mean, he just came up with that shit. And um, you know, you had Harold Ramis behind it, and and it's just Rodney oh my god, Ted Rodney Dangerfield, yep. who is Rod and and Rodney Dangerfield is still. I mean, he's up there in my top three of best uh, comics of all me. time. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, <laughs> they saw me naked. <laughs> <laughs> would you, would you loofah my stretch marks? Oh, <laughs> I had a couple of cokes. <laughs> okay, you don't so, get no coke before we, <laughs> before we become okay. just a quote fest here for the next thirty minutes. Uh, that's what <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, certainly yeah. no. It's a great film. That's another film that you know, like you were talking about things coalescing, Nick, earlier. You know, that's another one right. where there is a definite coalescence going on of of comedic genius basically um the likes of which you you don't find these days as again you were saying earlier too yeah no doubt no doubt caddyshack that was number what three uh right is that where we are okay three cool so i guess i'm up all right my three i've referenced on a previous show when we did our favorite uh endings of all time and um this is for me, you know, it's what's one of my favorite films of all time. It's uh, Cinema Paradiso. Yeah. Yep. There's only two other films that got higher rated than that on here, and that's for different reasons. But well, you don't uh, have three, a tie for number two or anything like that. No ties. <laughs> okay. Would you like to tie me up with one of your ties? <laughs> tie. <laughs> How about a fresca? How about a fresca? Hmm? Cinema uh, Paradiso. Well, just ask Baldy. <laughs> you know, regular pal. So yeah, Cinema Paradiso is. Um, well, again, I, I say to the listeners, if this isn't a film you're familiar with, uh, it's, it's one – it's really just a love letter to cinema. Mm. Uh, it's about a man's lifelong – a boy's lifelong love affair with, with, with film and is just – you know, it, it, uh, it's incredibly sentimental and bittersweet and it's a film that's powered by nostalgia – uh, and it's a very self-reflexive film. It's entirely about the industry and about, about the magic of film. And, you know, it's, it's just if, – if somebody doesn't like that film, I can't be friends with them. So. <laughs> that's, that's your litmus test, huh? Yep. Well, luckily I like it, so. Ditto here. All right. Cool. Excellent. That's, that's a great choice, actually. Um, and one that was yeah, not on my list, so that's good. Uh, my number three is Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Great choice, yeah. Khan! Anyway, I had to do that. Uh, I, it was, you know, it was that or Star Trek Five. Yeah. Well. So I had to go with two. Yeah. Um, it's such. I mean, it's like I like. I'm a big Trekker. Like I perfect always sequel. have been. I. I. It is a perfect sequel. You know, I'm a. I'm a huge Trekker. Um. I. I. You know, it's hard to watch some of the Star Trek movies and some of the. You know, whatever. But you know. Wrath of Khan is it's well written, it's well acted, it's well directed. 
Um, it's uh, you know, it's it's really a masterpiece. It's disturbing with those little things that they whatever they're called that that crawl into it's your the Alpha Five's only indigenous uh, species. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so crazy. Uh, Ricardo Montalban. I mean, who would think? You know that. Uh, um, it was yeah. It's just so good. And and you know what's funny about about the Star Trek franchise is you know the first one was. You know, the first one was what it was, and um, it was not in the 80s, so you can probably take a guess into one of my top 10 of the 70s, maybe. But um, uh, two really, I think, was was one that defined the uh, the series, the, the movies, you know, to a large extent. And, uh, you know, three was just a continuation to get Spock back. But four, and I'm going to talk about four a little bit because it's not on my list, but um, when four came out, that's the one with the whales, in case anyone's confused, because that's how everybody always talks about it. Is that the one with the whales? Um, I thought that was so stupid. It was so cheesy. Oh, God, I love that. Hold on, let me finish. What? When it came out, I thought it was so cheesy, and so like it felt like they were just hamming it up way more than usual and all that. And now it's probably almost tied with my favorite Star Trek film. Uh, with number with two because I think four is great because now I look at it I'm like it's playful and it's you know topical and it's you know like it's totally I don't know what happened you know when it like I said when I saw it I was like ugh and now it you grew up <laughs> yeah maybe yeah maybe um you know especially considering what I told you earlier that Star Trek five was the first movie I saw in the theater without my parents you know which which uh I have seen since and hasn't gotten any better for some reason so. It's interesting too that I don't know. We, we talked about Star Trek before, I think, right? We did a yeah, whole episode, yeah, yeah. We had an episode, and uh, the um, the latest Star Trek that has you know the one with Khan in it mm-hmm. is um, it's it's not a terrible film by any stretch, and they're reimagining it and stuff. But I thought it was interesting because the um, what's the director's name of the newest new films? Um, Abrams. Yeah, thank you. Um Abrams he is you know, he he has said before that he's not really a Star Trek fan. Right. You know, he's not a big trekker and they brought him in to do the movies and he's doing a decent job, you know. Well, Nicholas Meyer, the director of Star Trek 2, also was not a trekker. He was not exact same story, it's a, yeah. Exact same story. So they brought somebody in who wasn't familiar with the franchise, who wasn't um, he might have been familiar, but he wasn't a big fan. And you know, maybe it was that objectivity that allowed them to make some some pretty good films. But you know, I wonder if you listened to the audio commentary ever, Eric. Did you listen to Nicholas Meyer's audio commentary on the the DVD or Blu-ray? You know, I never have. It's really good. Yeah, he talks about everything you were just talking about—that yeah. objectivity and how he had to be talked into doing it, and he wanted to do it a specific way. And God, it's such a great movie. It's a real huge favorite of mine, and as is four, um, which I loved when I saw in the theater. That was one that Mike and I went to a couple of times that summer. We just, yeah, and that, just my appreciation for it's only grown. But those are my two favorite Star Trek films. For two sure. and four, yeah, me too, me too. Yeah, okay, that was my number three. Um, did you go? You did three, Chris, right? I did. And then Nick, are you going? I did. I think I did Paradiso, yeah. Okay, so three, three, three. All right. Oh, sweet. So, so you need to do two. Now we're on two. All right. Um, I can start with two. I haven't started in a while. Do you want me to go okay. back to back? Go for it. I have no problem because they're they're not related, but they're related in a way. Uh, I'm sure mine one and two are not your guys's one and two. 
Okay, yeah. Mine well, are, no. My one, two, and three are really easy for me because of the first three that came to mind. Uh, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. is my number two. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back is one of, in my opinion, the best films ever made. <laughs> um, <laughs> we talked about it um, when we talked about the best endings. I think that's what it was, the best endings. I know we've talked about it before, and I know I brought it up. But um, it's, you know, it's the darkest of the original trilogy. It's, um, you know, it's got all this wonderful drama. It moves the entire time. It's sad. Oh, my gosh. It's, and, and I just love how it ends on that down note. You know, it's yeah, just it's so good. Uh, you know, any Star Wars fan, I think, will probably agrees that Empire Strikes Back is the strongest of the of the six films so far. Um, I would imagine that most people agree with that. Some people have a fondness for Return of the Jedi. Uh, I don't as much as uh, Empire Strikes Back, uh, for sure. So so my two and three are both sequels. They're both the, the second, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're both, I think, better than the original uh, to an extent. I mean, it's hard to separate them with Star Wars because they're a continuous narrative, but... Um, yeah, I just I just love the Empire Strikes Back. Kasdan, baby, Kasdan, Kasdan, Kasdan. What can yep. you say? You know, yeah. like yeah, give him control of the the plot and the you know. Well, I should say the plot is Lucas's, but give him give him control of the nuance of the dialogue and the yeah. flow. And it's just, uh, it, it, it. I have to. I have a weird thing to say about uh, Empire, which is. Um, it's my favorite of the original three, but it's not my favorite theater experience of the first three, which would be I prefer, star going to see Star Wars in seventy seven was the you know the um, one of the most like incredible moments of my childhood because you know it was it was no matter if you were sixty or six or yeah. seven or eight or ten or whatever it was just something new you yeah. know something old that was made new and yeah. it, it, it kicked off that revolution. In in, um, uh, in in old analog uh, animation and gave birth to industrial light and magic and yeah. just created. Well, the great you know, thing about this artificial construction that we have of the '80s versus the '70s, it lets us talk about the Empire Strikes Back and lets us talk about Star Wars, the original. In a in a couple months when we do the seventies, right? Like right. It, it, it's right on that True. cusp, which is awesome. Because I agree with you, obviously that like Star Wars I saw in the drive-in over on Wayne and Warren across from Westland Mall. Um, you know, I mean, I of all my cinema going experiences, I remember seeing Star Wars like by far the best. It's the clearest memory I have. But that was in the seventies, so right. <laughs> so right. I get to talk about Empire today. That's great. Yeah, you know yeah absolutely. I mean? Yeah. So, um, see, I, the reason I bring that up is because it's not it's not on my list, right? Or, right. or my, or my right. um, what's call it? My honorable mentions. I see. Okay. Yeah. Although in the seventies, Star Wars will probably be on your list. Maybe not. Who knows? We'll see. What I don't happens, know. So. We'll see. What do you think, Chris, about Empire? Oh, I think Empire is a great choice. I mean, I think it's the. I think of all the films, I think it's the most intellectual. I think it's the darkest. I think mm-hmm. it's the deepest. Um. Yeah, I I yeah. I just I I love I love every minute of 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 the Empire Strikes Back. So yeah. it's got a, a fantastic um, variations on William's score that you know mm-hmm. he kind of set that out in A New Hope, and then he modified it for uh, Empire. And I like it. Yeah, true, true. You well, it's that flow you talked about, Eric. That movie, there, like, there's like in Return of the Jedi. You cut back to something going on with the Ewoks, and you're like, "Oh shit! Here we go, yes. fucking five minutes." 
Yes. But like an empire, you know, the balls that are being juggled in the air, every every storyline, you can't wait to get back to, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, I I agree completely on that. Yep, yep. You know, um I always tell people like some people like I would like if I had to choose even though Empire Strikes Back is higher than Star Trek to on this list today i st- i'm more of a trekker than a star wars guy you know if i had to choose um i know people like are sometimes in one camp or another but i always make the distinction on those two that start like people's like oh you like science fiction like star wars and i always make the distinction that star trek is science fiction but star wars is fantasy i have to agree with you yeah yeah i would concur with you right there, yeah, and I think uh, if you time. if you get that distinction, then you get like that opens up a whole like different you know way of I think looking at each of the series and, and to a large extent. Um, I don't know how helpful that is for this discussion, but I just thought I threw like, because they're right next to each other on my list. I thought I'd just throw that out there. Well, no, I think that's a very important distinction because I I am far more of a Star Wars guy than I am a Trekker, and I and from a genre perspective, I like fantasy a lot more than I like science fiction. Mm. Oh yeah, and I'm the opposite. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm with Eric. Yeah, I'm a bigger Trekker than I am a Star Wars guy. However, um, you know, Star Wars is I consider it you know fantasy with science fiction elements thrown in. Yeah, but it's it's you know it's the hero's journey. It's Campbell's myth. You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's uh, the hero with a thousand faces, all that stuff. I mean, classically, classically the hero's journey. You know, it is in with much more fantasy. Whereas Star Trek represents, I think, the some of the best things about science fiction. You know, yeah. and so um, yeah, I'm with Eric on that one. Yeah, I, I would agree. Excellent. Uh, who wants to go next for number two? I don't know whose turn it is. <laughs> I think it's Chris's turn. All right, I'll go. Um, well, my number two uh, will be no surprise to Nick. Uh, and it is actually the first film that I ever saw at the theaters. I know what this one it's is. Six it's years old. Ding, ding, ding. I'm wondering. Ding, ding, ding. I, 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 just to interrupt, I know there's a film that maybe it's in your honorable mentions. I'm sorry. Keep going. Uh, and that would be E.T. Uh, <laughs> E.T. was the first film I saw at the theater. It left an indelible mark on me. It. I remember I saw it with my mom. I fell in love with it. I uh, when, when I was a kid – that Christmas, there was like tons of E.T. toys and memory. I mean, I had them all. I still have them to this day. I still have all mm-hmm. of them. I have my talking E.T. Jealous. I have my talking E.T. that still works. I have, oh yeah, I have the little, the little wind-up walker E.T. that just sort of waddles around. Uh, I have all that shit. I, I still have it, still love it, still treasure it. And... um I mean, what can you say? It's a it's it's a classic story. It's that score gives me goosebumps. I mean, I Heather got me the the deluxe set uh, one year from for Christmas a few years ago, and it's just it's great. It's got a book. It's got the complete score. Uh, it's got like three or four discs full of bonus material. I mean, it's just it's an ET orgy right there in a box. <laughs> it, it is. It's an ET orgy in a box. I'm I'm looking at it right now, uh, and boy oh boy, is it great. So uh, yeah, ET is just what a wonderful film. What wonderful <laughs> effects. What how heartwarming and um, I I get chills whenever I see that that wonderful scene of of. Elliot Neaty on the bike in front of the moon. And funny enough, one of my favorite t-shirts is a T-Fury mashup 
of E.T. in Star Wars. Nice. And it's that, yeah, it's it's that scene of the Elliot and E.T. riding the bike across the moon. But it's in the, the, the shirt that I have, it's C-3PO on the bike with R2-D2 in the basket. And the, <laughs> and the outline of the moon is the Death Star. Nice. nice. That is one of my most prized T-shirts. That's great. Uh, that yeah, great. I love it. I love T- it. I love C-Fury. So. That's great. Uh, E.T. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. Uh, what's your number two, Nick? My number two is, uh, without doubt, uh, the the most um, profound of all my cinema experiences in the 80s. It's the one, speaking of indelible marks, Chris, it, it didn't mark me. It, like, bitch slapped me for, for like, weeks. Uh, well, not weeks, days, for sure. And that would be Sid and Nancy. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had to put it in number two because it's just that important to me. Alex Cox's genius uh, 1986 quasi-biopic slash avant-garde fantasy punk rock, you know, drama <laughs> is uh, is a masterpiece. For those who have not seen Sid and Nancy, have both of you guys seen it? Yeah. It's been a long time, but I've seen it. Yeah, it's been a long time for me, too. My God, I mean, that's, you know, it's it's so, 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 so good. Uh, it's just utterly surreal. Incredible performances. Such a downer. So beautifully shot. I mean, Alex Cox is on fire in this film. You know, I, 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 I wanted to put Repo Man in my honorable mentions. I really did. Um, I recently got the, uh, the, the Blu-ray of Repo Man, the Criterion Blu-ray, as a gift. And I love I love Repo Man, but um, I mean, for me, Alex Cox's greatest achievement is is Sid and Nancy, though. And um, I, I don't know what to say about it other than the sixteen year old me sat there just you know I mean, if there was a camera like in a three quarter shot, you know, like a medium close up of me, uh, you know, you could see the film being like reflected in my eyes as I just sort of watched with my mouth kind of open and the flicker of the screen going on my eyes for two hours as I watched these two people just slowly self-destruct with this incredibly haunting score and uh, music in there. And it was a bit much for this, you know, for a 16 year old, somebody especially who was very sensitive to film, you know, like for me, it wasn't just going to a movie and then going home. I mean, film was pretty sacred and it obviously still is. And it kind of just, it was a really powerful moment. And um, I, you know, I, what can I say? Uh, it's Sid and Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a very powerful film. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, uh, yeah. I love films like that too. That just like, I, I do like films that just, you have the deterioration, you know, someone's like going down a, hole in a way you know without a uh, hole it, yeah. yeah it's it's a very very powerful film i you know if i had thought about it i could have guessed that, that was going to be because you and i have talked about this before and you told me about that going to see it and i um i totally forgotten about it you <laughs> yeah you mentioned that to me too uh, do you guys remember the ending uh remind us well, you yeah. know, he's, the whole thing's told in flashback, basically. Yeah. You know, he's been arrested. Right. And then it, at the end of the film, he's let out of uh, – the cops let him go on bail. And he's sort of walking on the opposite side of the Hudson. You can see the, the you know, Twin Towers in the background. And he kind of goes in this little – in this pizza joint. And there's these two kids that are playing like um, 
uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band. They're like dance with us, Sid. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. He's like, "What well, do you think? You're stuck mm-hmm. up," and he starts to dance with them. And then you have this very—I won't—I won't get into it for those who haven't seen it. But then you get this sort of like very surreal ending, which is kind of—it's really symbolic, or can be read symbolically. But it's just such a such a great coda to what had happened prior. The the previous two hours, the way he ends it is just—it's it's 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 real sheer po- poetry. I mean, it's it's Cocteau, it's Bunuel, it's Alex mm. Cox. You know, mm-hmm. I mean. There's no real reason to get into taste hierarchies here. When I say that, I mean this is a poet, you know, sort of spilling his blood on the canvas for us. It's a gorgeous film, and and uh, I really, really, if anybody hasn't seen it, and you can you can stomach a uh, like a, a downer, but a real fascinating downer. Yeah, you need to be sitting sitting. I need to rewatch it. It's been it's been quite a long time since I've seen it. I should rewatch. Yeah, it. me too. Yeah. Well, Criterion did this version, but it's out of print now, mm. and that's the you know. So I don't know. The Blu-ray exists. I think Fox has the rights to it, so it's kind of a bare bones uh, Blu-ray. It's got a couple of little tiny extras on there, but Criterion did it. I, apparently, they they let their uh, license lapse on it because oh, now really? Fox. Uh, yeah, jerks. Yeah, I'll check that out. I'll, I'll I'll rewatch that. It's been it's been a long time. Cool. That was your number two. Uh huh. Okay, and we've all done two now. Yeah, E.T. for yep. you, Chris, and uh, Empire Strikes Back for me. Okay, well, drumroll, we're on number one. Our favorite films of the '80s. Dun dun dun. Let's all say them at the same time. Ready? No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense. All right, do you guys have a preference in terms of order on this? I'd like to go in the middle. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I'll go first, and then Eric, since you. Uh, the host, you started us, you can end us then. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, my, um, boy, my, my film I, is. I'm hoping, Chris, it's what I think it is. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, a long film. Uh, it was, uh, a director who has, uh, with this film, you know, really kind of did such a, a good job of 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 the biopic. It, it's it's a biopic. Got it. Got it. Yeah, got you it. knew it. It's a biopic, but biopic. it's also it's based on a Peter Schaefer play mm-hmm. that it shows more of a relationship. Uh, and uh, I will. You know, I can't uh, keep you keep you guessing. Yeah, I knew uh, well, it. it had a beautiful. Let me let me just put it to you this way. Uh, it it had a beautiful it had a beautiful score. Uh, although the composer, for, said, the composer of, of them, the though. score has been dead for over a hundred years. <laughs> oh, okay. And oh, that would be, of oh, course, Milos oh. Forman's Amadeus. Amadeus, Amadeus, yeah, yeah. Uh, Amadeus, yeah. which tells of the relationship. I, I mean, it's that. not a true biopic of Mozart, but it it tells of the relationship of Salieri, uh, the court composer, uh, to the Emperor of Austria, and and his relationship with Amadeus. It's really pretty much toned through his, shown through his eyes, and all in flashback. Uh, and it's it shows every emotion. It's hmm. the it, the cinematography. It was shot in Prague, and it's absolutely gorgeous, lush cinematography. And the music. I mean, and I I, I always use that opening scene that that scene near the opening where Salieri is talking to the priest, and oh, he, yeah. he he kind of conducts in his head, but then it goes immediately to the opera. And I'm like, okay, guys, 
Where's diet? What's diagenics? What's ex- internal diagenic sound? What's external diagenic sound? What's I you know? It's just that that's great. The exact same scene where he's dictating uh, to Salieri, and Salieri yep. can't keep up with them. You know, yep. now the timpani, ostinato, and on on the uh, you know uh, odd time, and it's like you know, it's like it's absolutely genius. Yeah, it is, and it it goes back and forth and back and forth, and I I have. Uh, and the soundtrack was released on like three or four CDs. It's like huge, and I listen to it all oh, the wow. time. And I just it's it's um, it's it's absolutely wonderful. And, and every everybody in this film, whether it's uh, everyone from from Christine Ebersole to um, Michigan's own Tom Hills, who's from Plymouth, and uh, of course the incomparable F. Murray Abraham, mm. uh, does marvelous things with this with this this material. Uh, and it's it's my all time favorite film of the eighties. I saw it very early on, and I watched it a lot, uh, a lot. And it's it the director's cut clocks in at over three hours. The wow. the original film was two. Yeah, the original release was about two and a half hours, and it won seven or eight Oscars. Oh yeah. Uh, but then then Foreman did a director's cut, Which and that. Yeah, yeah, that clocks in at like I think three hours and like eight minutes or eighteen minutes or something like that. So it's it's uh, it's it's long, but it's and it's an investment. Uh, uh, but it's um, boy oh boy, it's a it's a powerful, yeah. powerful, powerful film. I should have guessed. I mean, you, it, you talked about this when we did the cinematography episode, maybe. Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 This is I'm sure he did. Yeah, well. Prague lends itself. I mean, Prague's pristine. You know, I mean, yeah, it is. Hitler annexed, you know, Czechoslovakia as the Sudetenland. You know, realizing that it used to be part of uh, the Teutonic Empire. So, I mean, it was it was it was left untouched. You know, during World yeah. War II. So, I mean, it's 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 always been the hot spot to shoot for European low to double as capitals across Europe because it's just. I mean, it's pretty much untouched. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 it's. I haven't been there yet, but it's it's definitely somewhere I want to go for my for some film tourism and take a take a look at the city. But um, and you, like I said, the the acting the the it, the soundtrack was uh, com, uh, recorded by uh, Sir Neville Mariner, leading the Academy of Saint Martin in the Fields, and you know you you really can't get many better orchestras, chamber orchestras than that, led by Neville Mariner, the, the the legendary level Neville Mariner. So, the film is pretty much perfect, I think, in every way. I think it's except I think it's really a really important way, though. That's the only problem. What's that? In terms of accuracy, <laughs> that's the problem. Well, but it's not. It's not claiming to be accurate. No, but it's, what I it's think- a. It's a. It's an interpretation of the relationship between Salieri and Mozart as right. told through Salieri's eyes. Look, I'm not going to argue with you because that's one of my absolute all-time favorite films. But then it's historical fiction, really, because I mean, when you you put a disclaimer up saying that you know this this we have no verifiable you know evidence that this relation that this animosity hatred and like you know the 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 idea that he was going to destroy this person's life out of jealousy ever existed um so like no no but 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 if that's the case then any historical uh, historical film has to be felt that way because there's a certain amount of artistic license that a director takes there's no i don't think there's there's any historic any narrative film about a historical event that gets every single now, historical wait a minute, item correct. You should get everything right, but that film did harm 
to uh, history by suggesting that this, if people didn't bother to look it up for themselves, they accepted it as truth, which has always been the problem with historical representation right, in right, cinema. Right. So there's really no, no, no moral ground that can defend it other than to say that we're not suggesting that this really happened. But then there's no, there's, you know, that was, that was, in, that was put into all the reviews of Amadeus when it came out. It said, look, like, um, we're, uh, we, we have no, uh, we're not taking this as gospel. Uh, but I think the public did. That was the problem. And that's that's so, the problem. But that's the public's fault. That's and that that that's I'm no agree. reason to pick on. Yeah, that's no reason to pick on the film. And, and I'm I think not that, picking on it. Yeah, when okay. You it's, when you said it's flawless for every reason, or I'm like, no, it's not. It's got one one big problem, in that like a film like Immortal Beloved um, took a oh, very Beethoven. Yeah, Beethoven took a very different approach. It it said we're going to get everything as accurate as possible and we're going to play with the idea that this, that this uh, romance existed between these two people. We don't have any proof and we're not suggesting it did, but then there's no proof that suggests otherwise either. But they, they claim that going into it. Whereas Amadeus, uh, you know, because I mean, you know, in my family, obviously, you know, my grandfather was a violinist and my grandmother a concert pianist. Classical music was taken very seriously and as much as we loved that film and watched it over and over, my grandfather would always sort of be a little upset that that they made Mozart sort of buffoonish in certain scenes, you know, with that laugh. And, uh, um, you know, but obviously by the same token, whenever he's talking about anything as it relates to music, he's incredibly sincere and serious, you know, I mean. Well, so. yeah, he says that there's that wonderful line. He says, I'm a vulgar man, but my music is not. Right, exactly. Because they're talking about the, the abduction from I'm the I'm saying that so. it, it, it falls within a larger uh, uh, sort of problematic Hollywood discourse of uh, not taking a Hippocratic oath when it comes to history. Right. The only thing, I guess the only last thing I would say about that, and I think that, I think that would be a fair assessment if the film had stood alone as a film, if it hadn't been a play first. I think because of the fact that it was a play, at least within a certain uh, circle of people who were familiar with that, were able to take it that way well, uh, and and real and, and realize you know. So I I think the fact that it was a it was a previous text and it was an adaptation, and I think that the play the play made it because I've seen the play and I think the play made it a little bit clearer. Um, that it was a this is a, a kind of a fantasy and a you know idea of 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 what the relationship between Salieri and Mozart might have might might have been like, um, but you know if, if it had just been written as a film, then uh, then I, I I think that would be that would, that that's absolutely true and I and I could see that right I think in a lot of the public. Uh, I heard live. I've heard a lot of people call. Oh yeah, Amadeus is a biopic, and I immediately correct them. I said this is not a biopic of Mozart, and it's not a biopic of of, of, of Salieri. It is a imagined um, what their relationship might right, have exactly. Had and that's been, my, my given point. their like position. When, when people watch Shakespeare in Love or Gladiator, I think it's a bit more obvious. You know, even though it's it's his, I mean, these are things that are historical fiction. Like um, there is no Marcus, or, um, excuse me, there is no maximum Maximus Decimus Meridius. Obviously, yes, there is a Marcus Aurelius, you know, but they're just setting it within a historical factual period with um, right. e- existing 
profiles and personalities, but then they're injecting their own fictitious characters and stuff, and people take it that way. Um, right. But with Amadeus, you're dealing with two composers who were, you know, alive and well and knew each other and creating this sort of like, yeah, this, this thing that was uh, from everything that was ever written was largely a fiction. Right. Right. No, I, I think I think that's a that's a that's an important point. And I, and I, I think that does that's it get the, in the way of my loving of the film. No, 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 of course not. I think, though, it's also that's just that that's simply the 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 ignorance of the public. I think that's the that when you're dealing with a film like this, if you have people who don't who, who don't know the history and don't know what Mozart. I mean, what and Mozart, I mean. You know, the, the, from everything I've read on in the biographies, he was a character. I mean, he he was. I, I don't think he was a buffoon like they like Tom Holtz portrayed him. But he wasn't. He wasn't this very serious, like you know, serious staid guy. He was. He was kind of a. He was a character. He was, yeah, he was an interesting that. dude. Very much. So. Um, so you know, he loved his partying. He loved his women. He loved you know. He loved that life. Um, so because whenever you know if you watch a film like ed wood or people versus larry flint another milos foreman film right so right license taken and so much lying through omission and things like that but they they sort of like tend to treat certain things with reverence and get them right like althea and larry's relationship is treated accurately you know very very accurately scenes are treated accurately but they take you know a lot of dramatic license with other things and the same thing with ed wood they take a certain amount of dramatic license but the the, the core of it is transmitted with amadeus i think the core is transmitted of his genius and that he was buried in a pauper's grave and that he was one you know but but i just it always kind of was Something that bothered me that that uh, the whole that I think I had to correct a lot of people growing up by saying, you know, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> so. Yeah, right, right, and that's just people. People were getting the people were were kind of to use reception theory. They they weren't getting the preferred reading. They were getting the oppositional reading, which was an incorrect one. Right. Okay. Good. Uh, Nick, you're number two. Okay. Don't you want to weigh in? And go for no. three hours, Eric. No, I do not. <laughs> Oh. Did you ever see? Uh, it? I'll tell you what I, know, I remember about Amadeus because it obviously did not affect me the way it affected you guys. I remember the color palette. I remember it was very warm, a lot of reds and oranges. Um, yep. And yep. I remember it, the pacing. I remember it being very slow and methodical, not in a bad way. I remember. I, I remember enjoying the pacing of it. It kind of luxuriated in every scene. And that's all I remember about it. I saw it once. I saw it around the time it came. Uh, no, it couldn't have been time it came out. I saw it later uh, in the nineties, probably. And it didn't. It, I'm sorry, it didn't strike me the way it struck you guys. So. Well, I have to agree with Chris. It's, I think it's a masterpiece. I, I love yeah. that movie, and I, I knew it'd be in his ta- top ten. I didn't realize it'd be number one though. So yeah, I should give yeah, it. You I'll, know I mean? I'll, I'll give it another shot. You know, I'll watch it again at some point. But yeah, it never. It didn't strike me. There's no way in hell if I gave you guys fifty guesses and a thousand dollars if you got it right that you guys would guess my number one. I don't even think you know the films, except for probably just hear me talking about it. Did do you guys want to take a guess? After that, <laughs> Xanadu. Xanadu's in my honorable mention. <laughs> okay, I know you like Xanadu. I was I was kind of just throwing it out there, but uh, uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't take know. Quite a brick bath if I put it at Xanadu at number one. 
Um, is it no, Hellraiser, it's a film is it Hellraiser that, 2? What's that? <laughs> is it Hellraiser 2? It is not Hellraiser 2, no. Is it um, Nightmare on the Elm Street by, 3? Part is it Friday the 14th Part 5? <laughs> no, it is not Friday the 13th Part 5, New Beginning, which is considered probably the worst. Friday that's why I said it. <laughs> that's why I said it. I know enough to know that. I, I saw that in the theater with Mike. We, we loved that one. <laughs> you know, we're going to get listeners who are going to be, if they make it this far into the podcast, we're going to get listeners who are going to hit us on Twitter or comment on the uh, the show notes being like, why are you guys bagging on Friday the 13th? But you guys are – we're definitely going to get uh, pushback on, because, on know, making fun part, of these movies. Part five plays a dirty trick on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what is it, Nick? It is a film called High Road to China. Mm. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's – uh, it. I've heard of it. So I get a, yeah, I've heard of it, and a, hmm. <laughs> okay. So, yes, yeah, Brian Hutton, uh, Brian G. Hutton, a director whom I like very much, who's probably most well-known for Where Eagles Dare and Kelly's Heroes, um, two great action films with uh, both of Clint Eastwood, actually. And um, do you guys know either of those? Yeah, yeah. Um. High Road to China stars Tom Selleck. It's in his it's his first um, film uh, uh, after not getting Raiders, but instead getting mag- doing Magnum PI. I didn't just, know he was up for Raiders. Oh yeah, he had the role. Um, they cast him, and then um, he got it, it was a, it was like the basically the Remington Steel you know issue. He he was under contract to do Magnum. They wouldn't let him out of it, so he had to pass. Uh, and um, so when you know they they gave it to Harrison, who was I guess their second choice, um, and it's it's Tom Selleck and, and a really 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 fantastic Bess Armstrong, who just gives a fan really really excellent performance in this. I mean the film belongs to her in many ways, and the always excellent uh, Jack Weston, and that's sort of the trio. Also there are there's others there's other notable actors in there. Um, and uh, it has the my favorite John Barry score of all time, and uh, it's very simple. I mean, Tom Selleck is a it's it's just after World War One, and they're in Turkey, they're in uh, Istanbul, and um, he's he's a World War One you know flyer. He's an ace uh, and kind of a decorated hero. He you know fought a lot of Germans and and had a lot of victories, and now he's in. He's in Istanbul with Jack Warden, excuse me, Jack Weston, who's his mechanic, and he's a drunk, and he's sleeping with you know all, half the town. And um, meanwhile, you get the story that Bess Armstrong, who is um, uh, sort of a Wilford Brimley's daughter, and he's this sort of millionaire patent holder. He's disappeared, and Robert Morley, who was his ex partner, is going to uh, have him declared dead so he can take over the business. Uh, Bess is also in uh, Istanbul and she needs to get to London. There's the story. She goes and tries to get, um, excuse me, she doesn't have to get to London. She has to go find her father and bring him back to a court in London. So she goes and hires Tom Selleck and that's it. That's your first 10 minutes. I can only say that I love this film so, 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 so much. I love the music. I love everything about it. I mean, if I died tomorrow, just Guys, do me a favor. Play the theme from High Road to China and then send everybody home. That's, that's all the eulogy I need. Uh, it's, you know, it's my number one from the 80s, and it's one of my favorite films of all time. If you haven't seen it, it's just got a Blu-ray release, which is, which is, very, which is lovely, and it's a great film. 
All right, cool. Yeah, I'll check it. I don't, I don't know the film. Um, Me too. I, I know of it, but I've never seen it. So, yeah. Okay. Tom Selleck. Good old Tom Selleck. All right, cool. That's, that's an interesting Quickly Down one. Under. Quickly Down Under is a good film. It is a good film. Yeah, 90s. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll check that out. I'm, I'm open to it. I don't, I don't know it. I don't, I've never seen it. That's not my knowledge, anyway. I was looking, I, I looked it up when you were talking, and, and the image on the front looks familiar, but I don't know. Cool. That's excellent. Um, my number one is, um, probably won't spark a lot of argument about historical accuracy uh because it's in the future it's uh ridley scott's blade runner yeah. uh that was super easy for me it was it was <laughs> i it was number one as soon as we started started talking about the 80s um i just bought the like definite well who knows if it's definitive blu-ray like with all the versions on it you know the whole like multi-disc set um of of blade runner i haven't watched them yet but um because that's a project in and of itself because there are so many versions of the film. Um, I tend to default to the director's cut of, mm-hmm. of Blade Runner, which as most people do, I, th- I think. Um, although I think it's, it's worth seeing the, the original um, theatrical release as well, just for comparison purposes. But, I th- you know, it was great. It's, uh, you know, Philip K. Dick has... Uh, I mean, there are so many movies made from his books, and some of the books um, are great, and some of them are, you know, just kind of almost like outlines. You know, he wrote in a very uh, kind of cinematic way. You know, it's very, it's very, very easily adapted. I guess you could say. almost like he you knew know? he was gonna, the film was going to get adapted. Yeah, you know, and 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 people are still mining his stuff. You know, to this day. And uh, you know, and and there have been some really good films made of it. And really, Scott, I think, did did such a good job with um, with Blade Runner. You know, the the just the the atmosphere. You know, the the constant rain in the dark streets, and the the uh, cinematography is amazing. You know, and it has these. You know, it's science fiction. You can see my top three are all. You know, Star Wars, Star Trek, and Blade Runner. You can see where my mind is. I guess four was ET. So I guess my top four are <laughs> are space related um, to an extent. But you know, Blade Runner is a distant future where you know the, there are these replicants, as you know, who look like humans and they can't tell the difference. And then there's all this wonderful stuff about you know what is it to be human? You know what is it? You know it brings up human rights and you know, how we define ourselves. And I think that's especially important today as we get closer and closer to AI and we get closer and closer to, you know, blurring the lines between, um, between human and, and non-human, you know, computer intelligence, Android, stuff like that. It's such a good film and it's got the spiritual component. Harrison Ford's great. And it's a, you know, it's a neo-noir, you know, it's a science fiction neo-noir. And I think it really started that genre to a large extent too. So Blade Runner, number one for me. I've only seen Blade Runner once. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was great, but I've seen it. It was a long time ago that I saw the film. Um, and I thought, I mean, it was, it was, I thought the philosophy of it, especially because um, I've read portions of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the mm-hmm. novel that it's based on. 
Um, I thought the I thought the philosophy of it and the themes that were presented in the film were were fascinating. Like I said, I've just I've seen it once, and I haven't. Um, I just haven't come back to it. So I, Nick, I think Nick's comments are probably going to be far more eloquent than mine. Well, uh, I'll, I'll add on to that and say uh, I saw it in the theater when it came out, um, and could not have been more disappointed. Now, mind you, I was eleven years. What year is it? Eighty one. Eighty two. 82, yeah. Uh, so, um, mind you, we had just seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then we saw the poster for um, Blade mm-hmm. Runner, and mm-hmm. our friend's mom dropped me and, like, three other friends off, and we went in to go see Raid, Blade Runner, and we were just utterly confused at 12 years old as to what was going <laughs> on. It was uh, – it, we, we were sold by the science fiction, but we were utterly confused to the plot. Obviously, as time went on, I came to absolutely love this film. It's in my honorable mentions. Um, it's, you know, I used to show it in intro to film the first few years that I taught, mm. and I had to retire it because I, you know, normally it doesn't bother me at all if students don't like or snicker yeah. at a film that I love. I, I don't, I don't. Subscribe to the, you know, don't show films that you love because it'll <laughs> kill you inside. It yeah. will kill you inside. But I, I always want to take the risk because if I'm that passionate about the film, hopefully it comes across to them yeah. and they can take it or leave it. But I was like really starting to – mind you, I was much younger too. This is 10, 11 years ago. First couple times I showed it, students hated it. Um, yeah. A couple like maybe film majors would be like that was awesome. They loved the hybridity of the of genres coming together, you know. But they, uh, the 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 majority of students in those big eighty you know eighty plus student classes were like sawing wood. Man, they just it is the pacing is slow. It's slow. Um, it's very slow. And and uh, uh, it's it, it killed me. I had to stop showing it yeah. um, for a, for a, for a long while after the director's cut came out eric mm. i preferred the original because i had grown across accustomed to harrison's deadpan uh voiceover at the end oh yeah yeah and uh but then i realized that if i just subtract the if i just say okay i like the voiceover better in the theatrical cut um i find that the director's cut is 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 much better you know yeah, for sure. uh, it's it, it's a much it's a much better film i just wish the director's cut had the voiceover uh. ending you know but but you don't really need it. That's the whole point of it. Right. So um, I, you have no idea how hard it was for me to to get 10 films on here. Obviously, my tie was a cheat. Uh, but I figured, what the fuck? If I had the ingenuity to, to think of it, I could get away with it. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I thought that That's was a, I thought that was Price Water or whatever Cooper. Or whatever. Well, yeah, yeah, it was, it was their fault. Yeah, yeah. I need to think of it, you know, to think of hiring them. Yeah, that's a, I didn't mean like anything other than that. Oh, oh, right, right. Of course, of course. Right, right. The new to hire the accounting firm of Price Waterhouse. <laughs> so, right. well, Claude, you're number one. It's it's a map, and I can watch it any old time. You know when Blu-ray came out and they did that big huge you know box set of yeah. multiple versions stuff i was like this is why everybody needs a high def television and blu-ray player <laughs> just mm, for blade yeah okay yeah i can see that it's a visual extravaganza man no doubt and daryl hannah is so good on a personal note i have to say that this was at you know how couples have a song, you know, 
um, I, we, uh, a relationship that I was in for a very long time, we had an album. <laughs> the album was Blade Runner. Uh, uh, we used to go to bed to the Vangelis oh, soundtrack. Vangelis, so the um, keyboard, yeah. <laughs> which you know was was never, which never was, uh, it never got a release. It was like one of the most demanded and sought after soundtracks for a long time. All they had was this, this sort of bland orchestral thing. And then around 1995 or six, I think they released Vangelis's full score. And now they've got like a three disc version of it with everything on there. And that was um, that was our. Our CD, you know, our album, you know, because we used to go to bed to it every night. I still go to bed to it. It's in my CD player right now. Good stuff. Okay, so I know we have, we all have a lot of honorable mentions, I imagine. Um, uh, I'm going to... I'll put my list up on, like, the Facebook page and just read off, like, you know, six or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm cool with that because it's starting starting to go long and I'm starting to fade. Yeah, and I'll just read them. Yeah, Nick, you want to go first on the honorable mentions? I will. Uh, I'll I'll just read five or six, and then the rest I'll we'll, you know we'll just put them on the website and on the Facebook page. Um, I had the hardest freaking time in the world. I desperately, desperately needed heavy metal and fast times in here. Mm-hmm. They are so important to me. Um, and I'll just read off a few more here: Revenge of the Nerds, mm. Hannah and Her Sisters, Yep, uh, Airplane, Nice, The Shining, Aliens. Oh, and how about The Little Mermaid? <laughs> how about it? How about it? How about it? Why not? Okay. Uh, I'll go next. Some of them are going to be uh, cross uh, 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 overlap. Um, so also with Airplane, um, The Fly. Yeah, I've got Kronen- that too. Cronenberg's <laughs> The Fly. Uh, Platoon. Oh, yeah, good. Okay, Platoon. Uh, the Last Emperor, nice. oh, yeah. and yeah. and uh, Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, so you have a lot of war movies in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, and then for me, I I, I did a I gambled a little bit because I I thought for sure one of you would do one of the John Hughes comedies so that, I could, one on here, yeah. so that I could talk about my crush on Molly Ringwald, which I'm sure <laughs> I'm not, obviously not the only one who had a crush on Molly Ringwald who didn't, but so like Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, you know, I, I, I thought you guys would talk about it, so I could talk about it, so those are in my honorable mention. Um, the movie Alex Cox did after Sid and Nancy Walker is actually Yeah, I, I didn't know anybody saw that. That's a great movie. <laughs> it's such a good movie. It's such oh a good God. movie. Oh my God. Um... What else do I have here? Labyrinth. Oh, yeah. Spaceballs. Oh, yes. Gremlins, and I'll put the rest oh, up on the... <laughs> Dante, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, it's funny. Molly Ringwald never did anything for me. Oh, really? I like it. Yeah. Her. Oh, no, 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 no. I was... was what did it. Nope. No, right. I was uh, Phoebe Cates and... Oh, Phoebe. Um, well, yeah, Phoebe Cates. Uh, Kevin, I still maintain that Kevin Klein is one of the luckiest motherfuckers alive. <laughs> Um, he's married to Phoebe Cates and then, um, private school, There's a good uh, uh, Mia Sarah yeah. mm. from Ferris Bueller's day off and legend mm-hmm. and legend is actually a very good film with Tim Curry as the, as that devil demon guy. Yeah. 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 L- love legend. Well, my first girlfriend was a redhead and, um, I always, uh, as Nick knows, I've always had a thing for redheads. So, you know, Molly Ringwald fits the. 
Always type. She 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 does she does my my current redhead cru- my my current Hollywood uh, crush I guess you could say is a is a redhead that's Christina Hendricks. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Can I just read one more? But this is sure. my signing off gesture here. Yeah, sure. It's when you mentioned um, uh, a film a minute ago, Chris. That uh, on my list also is a, fi- a little little teeny known film called Scandal from 1989 that I uh, I love. It's with uh, Joanne Wally she, at that time, Joanne Wally Kilmer and uh, John Hurt. Um, it's about the John Profumo scandal. Uh, uh, and, and do you guys know what I'm talking about? The the whole the uh, prime minister scandal and in, in, in that shook the it shook England in the 1960s with Christine Keeler. The, the I, I know about the scandal, but I don't know. I, I don't know the film. Okay, Maybe. yeah, and um, yeah, you know, it's just it's in my list. It's a very 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 special film to me. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna a, throw one more into that. Okay. <laughs> and that will and that will be actually a film that does not have. A single live action person in it. Mm. Uh, and it's, I still think, one of the most ambitious, I guess, Muppet type films that has ever been done. And that would be The Dark Crystal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought, I, you know, funny, I thought you were going to put I in your. Recently, uh, Dark Crystal is great, but I thought you were going to, in your top 10 or honorable mentions, Chris was going to be Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's that's another one. Uh, yeah, I love. I, I mean, I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I, I go back to it a lot. But it's, it's so good. You know, it's, oh, it's great! It's Bob Hoskins, and I, I, I actually have Alan Silvestri's score in my CD player in my car right now because I listen to it a lot. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm. I, I guess you know, there's so like you said, there's so many films, and oh, it was impossible. You know, it was, it was impossible. But I, I, the Dark Crystal, I remember. Um, I watched that right when it, it was, cause that's 1982 and I was, um, I was six in 1982 cause I was mm-hmm. born in 76 and I, I was just captivated by that film. <laughs> yeah. Those characters were oh, just I, so yeah. rich and amazing to look at, right? The Skeksis and Agra and, oh my God, it was just, and the, the idea the ideas behind the film. I mean, if you look, think about the idea of the Skeksis draining the life essence. Mm-hmm. Um, I look, I look at the Dark Crystal as a metaphor for capitalism. That the Skeksis is kind of like the the, the capitalist, the one percent, and that everybody else are the little the little guys who they have their life essence drained by the capitalists. I don't know if you've ever. I don't know if you've ever read the Dark Crystal well, that no, way, but I, I saw it recently. I was like, "Holy shit! This is a this is a complete metaphor for capitalism." It's a Marxist film. I guess the last thing I could say about our lists here is that you know Woody dominated a lot of our lists in the 2000s and the 90s, and yeah. I had him down for two films: Hannah and Her Sisters and Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yeah, me too. Right, me too. and I just thought, and I'm like, "Where am I going to put him in the top ten? And I thought, you know what? Fuck it. Woody goes in the honorable mentions, and I got to focus on what's near and dear to my heart, you know, because I, I mean, Hannah and her sisters in crimes and misdemeanors. When I saw them, uh, I, I saw both of them in the nineties, you know, I didn't see them in the eighties. Yeah. So, um, I was just trying to focus on that decade and, and my reactions to the films as I saw them in the eighties, you know? Yeah. I had, uh, crimes and misdemeanors and Hannah and her sisters on there too, but, uh, crimes made the honorable mention. It's a tough list. This is a tough job. Oh boy. Tough you know, job. This was really hard. These guys are tough. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like of all. Yeah, this is certainly one of our longer podcasts. Yep. Well, hey, thanks for listening to our top 10 of the 1980s. I'm sure if you are of the same age as us, you're going to have some strong opinions about some of this. Uh, check out the website for a recap and for some of our other honorable honorable mentions. And uh, for That's a Wrap, I'm Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Gullen. And thanks for listening to episode 35. We'll see you next time. Cut. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.